greetings everyone and welcome to the stacks uh as always this is jay and i'm shanna and this week we are talking about the amazing 1987 norman mailer picture uh tough guys don't dance uh legendary uh with like classic meme uh, I, I would say that this is a meme that predates memes. Like th- this was a movie meme in the '80s before memes existed. <laughs> this amazing is the right word to describe this movie. I don't know what else we could use. Amazing works. Yeah, like I'm not going to say that it's good or that I even recommend it, but it's 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 unlike anything else. It is very. Like it's it's just an amazing thing that exists. Uh, one of the great uh, ventures of Golan Globus and Canon Pictures, uh, who love to finance this sort of thing. Now, were these the ones, the people who did Troll Two? No, or am I someone else. Uh, that that's uh, those those people did our second movie. Oh, okay, okay, uh, but. Uh, Golan Globus, uh, well, they, I think it's Golan who directed the Apple, uh, and they produced that. Uh, you know, the, the great, uh, the, the musical sort of based on Faust and, uh, various other things. Complete nonsense. One of my all time favorites. (laughs) It's pretty fun. Uh, well, they did sort of at the end of Canon Pictures, like this is sort of nearing the end of it, they got interested in uh, picking up a lot of more artsy projects. So they, you know, Norman Mailer, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Uh, they're like, yeah, if you, you want to make an actual movie, because he made terrible, terrible movies in the 60s previously. Um, so, so is he like... I've heard his name before, but is he like a well? I, I guess he must be a well-respected author. He's got a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, he's a pretty big deal American counterculture author. Uh, like sort of uh, one one of the major baby boom generation uh, authors, I suppose. Uh, like I've read some of his stuff. I, I'm sort of hit and miss on it. I liked one called uh, The Air Conditioned Nightmare, but it's it's been a long time since I've read any of his stuff. Uh, mostly he wrote about culture and uh, his his fiction work I'm less familiar with. Um, and this is based on a novel that he wrote. So I don't know how satirical any of this is supposed to be. I can't tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Some of it certainly feels like it should be. Some of it, but some of it also feels like weirdly sincere in that. Um, I'm, I'm, we're probably going to draw a lot of comparisons, or at least I am, but in that, like, Tommy Wiseau, The Room sort of way. Yeah, and so, like, I've seen Mailer's 60s films, and they're wretched, they're hard to watch. Uh, they're sort of half movies that are sort of like this, like, they're gangster movies, uh, cops and robbers things that are with incredibly flowery dialogue, except... Uh, he had no ability to actually shoot and they were just like, you know, shot on 16 millimeter or whatever. And, uh, very low quality shooting conditions, no locations or production value or anything. And it was starring himself. 
uh, and you just can't hear a word that anyone's saying. And it just seems like a bunch of people being assholes to each other for an hour uh, in, in like a dark room. It sucks. They're the worst. It's just absolutely wretched. And I feel like this movie is him getting a shot to make what he sort of envisioned those to be like in, in one of them. It's half about the making of the movie and half the actual movie. And it ended up just completely breaking down. And perhaps that's why it's partially about the making of it. Because Rip Torn, uh, who was one of the lead actors who he had, and this is sort of before Rip Torn was sort of an actor. Uh, I don't know what you would know Rip Torn from. He's in all sorts of stuff. I've definitely seen him before somewhere. Uh, He's in Freddy Got Fingered. He's Tom Green's dad in that I haven't seen that okay uh well this was him much younger uh and he got so sick of dealing with norman mailer that he attacked him on camera with a hammer and like half <laughs> they they had a huge brawl it's wild like he was trying to kill him he just wow. couldn't take it anymore he <laughs> uh and and that's kind of how i felt watching his 60s movies so i totally get <laughs> oh, it oh really okay <laughs> okay um by comparison, so those this aren't is a... a breeze. <laughs> this one's a lot oh, more this is... fun. This one's like this is a, trick. This is a jagged experience. Uh, I, I would say this that's is... the biggest problem. Go ahead, please. Um, yeah, no, this is this is all over the place. I, <laughs> we're, we're, it's it's like flashback inception. There's so it, many flashbacks. I think everything is a flashback until the end, but there's flashbacks within flashbacks within flashbacks. And then here's a bit where we're going to a character literally says, here's a bit where we're going to see what people did when we weren't there. (laughs) And and then another flashback happens in the middle of that, which is its own flashback. And like, clearly at that moment, it's to some extent self-aware, but I'm not sure how much it's self-aware in terms of, parody or satire and how much of it's just literary license because you know it's it's mailer and so he is a man of letters and it is more of a literary film than it is a cinematic film it's so talky it's (laughs) yeah um i just to me it feels really weird that this was written by a pulitzer prize winning author because it feels like some most of the dialogue just feels like people reaching for any metaphor they can that they've never heard before and just whatever pops up into their head as long as no one else has said it before yeah it's incredibly flowery uh and like just the pedigree of this turkey it's unreal so like norman mailer for starters pulitzer prize winning author not so decorated as a director or screenwriter uh but like Golan Globus uh, producing. So it's a Canon picture, which is, you know, always kind of an exciting thing to see uh, score by An- Angelo Badalamenti known for twin peaks. Oh, okay. Okay. And this does at times kind of lend it a bit of twin peaks atmosphere because this movie does have, uh, it, 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 it has some of the same absurdity it's just it seems less clear whether Norman Mailer is aware how absurd it is. 
I do get a Twin Peaks this vibe from this. Uh, now that you mentioned it, I wasn't thinking of it at the time, but some of this, some of what happens here, felt like it would be at home in Twin Peaks. Well, it's it's like dumb Twin Peaks. Like yeah. you, you know, Nathan Nathan for you did dumb Starbucks. This is like dumb Twin Peaks or dumb Inherent Vice. That's yeah. That was another thing that this really reminded me of. Like the cop was basically just Josh Brolin's character in Inherent Vice turned up to eleven. Yeah, although like I wonder if that character oh. is based. Wow, Plum is. Uh, Plum there has a lot to say this in the yard. <laughs> I guess so. Um, uh, Inherent Vice, I like it was written in the 2000s, so I, I wonder if it was influenced directly by this, if that character is sort of a better version of this, like Pinchon actually going and saying, like, oh, I, I can do a better version of this movie and this character and this book. Maybe. Because it's similarly weird, like it is another crazy neo-noir, but it's West Coast versus East Coast. Uh, This is very East Coast, Cape Cod, uh, pastel noir is is how it's described, and I'd say that's pretty accurate. It's fakey noir, like it doesn't feel like noir, but it does feel like that really early 40s stagey noir a little bit. The guy very definitely feels like he wants to be a noir protagonist with the way he talks to people, but it never lands. Well, yeah, Ryan O'Neill, I don't know. He is kind of the weakest link in this movie. Like, he's very flat throughout uh, the movie uh, as our main character, Tim. Uh, and and especially in one very key moment that we'll uh, talk about <laughs> at length. But, like, he's... <laughs> He's just, he's flat, and his deliveries are so monotone. Everybody, this is another example of where everybody's all over the place. Um, he's flat. The cop is, like, up to 11. Um, the Great Wingshauser. Yeah, the, the the different girls are... Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll get to Isabella Rossellini's in this. Isabella Rossellini's in this, and she's kind of weirdly flat too. Like I I feel like he just didn't know how to work with her because this is the same year or maybe the year after Blue Velvet, and like she is so much better in Blue Velvet, it's unreal. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the hell was she doing here? I don't know. Some <laughs> of this is like. She just, in particular, just she seems maltreated by this film. And like I yeah. remember the famous uh, Siskel and Ebert review where Ebert was very upset about how Isabella Rossellini was treated uh, as an actress in Blue Velvet, and like she she was so much more poorly treated in this because oh, oh this movie right God what a terrible movie well, just her character how embarrassing is, yeah. Like I, I don't know what happened with her behind the scenes, but her character oh, I don't know is anything about constantly getting shit on. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think there is any behind the scenes stuff other than Ryan O'Neill resented, <laughs> resented Norman Mailer forever for this. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah, and we'll we'll get to that with the key scene because there's some uh, interviews I wish to reference. Oh, it's related to that. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Because, like I said, this was a meme in the eighties. Uh, so I, I guess we can kind of start with uh, the the basic plot. Uh, get, get There's nothing basic that. about the plot. No, the plot is hog wild. <laughs> <laughs> like you can, exp- I watched it. I wrote down things. I have no idea what happened. You'll explain it. We'll go over it. I still won't know what happened. Yeah, see, I've kind of got it down now that I've seen it about four times, but it it took some doing. This is so, definitely one I. Well, I'll be watching this again. I have to show this to people. Yeah, it is. It is so crazy. Like I, I had more room for, room in my heart for it than I did the first time I saw it, and it helps that this is a really beautiful transfer. Uh, like it's it's a great looking movie. It's it's beautifully shot. Honestly, it didn't look like a 1987 film. It felt way more contemporary than that. Yeah, totally. And it has a visual style that feels much more contemporary, both just like like the pastel noir thing, uh, even though their fashion is very 80s. Well, uh, not what? the main guy. The main guy just yeah, wears a true. sweatshirt and jeans. Yeah, he's, he's pretty simple. And uh, many a lot of the characters are like 50s fashion. Right. Well, and it is very retro in a way. Um, And we open with a big retro tough guy, uh, Lawrence Tierney, uh, who we also had in one of our films from last week. uh, People are not people under the stairs. Silver Bullet. Uh, He was the bartender, the guy with the baseball bat. Oh, that was him. That was him. And here he reminds me so much of. Mike from Breaking Bad. Have you ever you've seen part of Breaking Bad at least, right? I've seen the first th- three seasons, maybe four. Oh, okay, you want so to yes, see, I you want to see no, I've character. seen Mike. No, okay. I, I totally I'm familiar with Mike. Yeah, totally. Uh, he oh, he right. definitely I know where has you a similar energy. Bad. Yes. Yeah. Similar, he has, but he has yeah. I I would say he's got an energy that maybe is uh kind of based on tyranny. Because, like, Tierney was continuing on into the 90s. Like, he was in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, uh, right. he, he's the guy who sets up the whole caper. Oh, okay, okay. So so this movie has some big names in it. Or, or totally, at least, yeah. At least B-list. Yeah, and, and it, it was – and, like, Ryan O'Neill was sort of a big deal actor. Like, he I, – I don't know if he, he ever – Yeah, I, I, like, he was a big box office guy. He starred in – uh, Love Story was really huge, which would be like a decade before this. Uh, very famous, uh, weepy about uh, a, a romance where the girl is dying of cancer. Uh, I've never seen it, uh, but you know it's it's one of the big Robert Evans triumphs uh, when he was a super producer at Paramount. Okay. Uh, so. We we open Lawrence Tierney uh, is uh, Tim's Tim Ryan O'Neill's father Dougie, uh, and he surprises him by just kind of showing up at his house. He's just in the breakfast nook, uh, hanging out. Coffee. Yep. Uh, yeah, and just he, hanging out, even though they apparently hadn't seen each other in a year. Yeah, uh, that's kind of seems like the sort of relationship these two have. Uh, they they are father and son. It I didn't realize that until I had watched through most of the movie, because I don't Same. know if it's directly referenced until much much later. Because he never calls him dad. He only ever calls him Dougie. Yeah. And Dougie calls Dougie. him son. But I always felt like I felt like they had more like an uncle relationship. 
Well, like, I almost thought he was a crime boss that he worked for. Oh, you know, he had he has crime boss energy. I don't know what he did before, like what his character did before all this happened. We don't find anything out about him. No, we have no idea. No, I I don't think we ever learn anything about Dougie. Uh, We know Uh, he's his dad. We we learn he had cancer. He went to chemotherapy and quit because he didn't like it. Yeah, so he's decided to just die of cancer, and he's just going to sometimes hang out and randomly show up here. <laughs> yep, um, and it's like, should you be drinking? And he's like, I, I just, I don't give a shit at this point. He's like, they told me not to, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, um, so Tim tells him that his wife left him with the chauffeur 29 days ago, uh, which places this at like end of November, I guess. Just just going okay. into December for like the first week of December would be this movie, I suppose. Uh, and there, he, uh, <clears throat> uh, Dougie asks, "What did she need a chauffeur for?" I mean, she didn't. <laughs> she just didn't need me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this this is just the beginning of. The ridiculous dialogue you'll get. Well, and my favorite, or arguably my favorite, because it's the film title in dialogue, and not exactly dialogue, it's more expository, flowery monologue, but Lawrence Tierney says the movie's name, and it's so good. It's a a spirit circle. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll do the line. Yeah, yeah, go for it. The spirits circle around my bed and tell me to dance, and I tell them. Tough guys don't dance. <laughs> uh, great line. I, I, I stood up and applauded. <laughs> like, it reminds me of, like, he's talking he's talking to Tim, but he's really talking to the audience, like, like Shakespeare characters would do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of that in this. Well, like, but they're not well, telling us anything. They're telling us just weird shit sometimes it makes school <laughs> not not necessarily in this case that kind of makes sense here but we get some weird shit yeah but this was a good line this is a good line uh and like i i picked up the the stand and applaud thing from it's a thing pen gillette uh pen and teller do like you can go catch a movie with them, and their thing is you you do stand and applaud if the movie's title is spoken. Uh, oh, and like it's just that... amazing because Penn Jillette is in this movie. Oh right, I couldn't point out where he was. I, although I wasn't, I by the time sure by the time we got to him, I had forgotten that he was in it. Yeah, I'll I'll point him out when uh, we get to that point. Uh, right, he's the priest. That. Oh, the like stoop the, the original yeah big stoop the the first husband but yeah we'll, we'll <laughs> first get to of him. many in this month indeed <laughs> so our first flashback is here we get the coke party flashback um yeah so this is we're still kind of figuring out who everybody is uh there's a knocking on the door a woman takes off her clothes uh, opens the door and it's this like cop, but not like a patrol cop. It's one of those well-dressed, like pressed uniform cops. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would just say overall, this is where I would say it has the most 
80s outfits at this big Coke party. This is prime 80s outfit time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, because everything was shot so well and I thought it was so modern, I just thought this maybe was an 80s theme party. I had to look at the copyright date on the back of the movie because I had no clue. The transfer is absolutely gorgeous. Like, this is a very impressive uh, restoration, too. Because, like, I, I had originally seen this on, like, a shitty VHS, and it it was harder to get through. Uh, it was a lot more enjoyable now. Yeah, yeah. Like, visually, this movie does not disappoint at all. It doesn't disappoint visually at all. No. So, uh, the it's Wings Hauser who shows up, and he is the acting chief of police. Uh, his full title, acting chief of police, Alvin Luther Regency. Now, that... This is like a new money version a, of Harge, right? Big white guy name energy. Oh gosh, he's such a Harge. Yeah. Well, he he's he, like he's, he's trying, new money he's aspiring. Harge. Yeah. He's aspiring to be a Harge. Yeah. But he's a cop, so he it's a unique kind of hardly abusive power. Yeah, and as a cop, there. I mean, we'll get to some of the stuff later because he's got some big speeches because. Yeah, he—he's not—he's—he's he's more just a killer. He—he's a guy who wants to kill people, uh, and he's, so he hooks up with our he ex-con. Wears his corruption on his sleeve. Oh yeah. Uh, uh. So we we meet our hero, quote unquote. He's sulking on a staircase, drinking. The immensely unlikable Tim. He's very unlikable and consistently throughout. I'm never really rooting for this guy, but half the time I kind of forget he's here too because a lot of the movie he's just not there. He's very bland. He's so flat. It's it's weird the way he plays it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Wings comes to chat with him or uh, Regency. Uh, he comes to chat with Tim and Tim immediately admits that he's an ex-con and he kind of talks about it a lot. I feel like it's maybe how he greets people. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm an ex-con. He's kind of really a chip on his oh, yeah. shoulder about it. What do we find out what he like went to jail for originally? Oh yes, it's it's part of the huge exposition. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the big ones near the end. Uh, I'll I'll lay it all out as we get there. But uh, so, okay. uh, Patty Lorraine shows up. She's drunk and badly playing a trumpet, which was, I thought, quite funny. <laughs> yep. And um, uh, here's one of my favorite dialogue lines. The very first one that made me stand up and just go, what the fuck? <laughs> um, what are they saying about he's Regency says something or she says something about being blonde. And yeah. Tim says, you're not a real blonde. And then she says, uh, do you want to do it or can I do it? You go ahead. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I used to be. No. When I was in high school, my hair, my pussy hair was golden yellow until I got it scorched by the football team. With the entire football team. <laughs> the entire football team. Yes, yes. Um, Just saying this to both the cop and the guy in the middle of this party because she throws she's, the she's sickest wasted, parties uh, oh yeah throwing the sickest parties is her greatest quality as we will later learn as well <laughs> she has little else going for her besides the sickest parties 
No, uh, I mean, that's what she lives for. And I don't get why Tim was ever with her because he hates parties. He clearly hates parties. Oh, yeah. But I don't get why he's ever with any of these people because he's never he doesn't like. He doesn't anything. like anything or anyone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Tough guys don't dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we get flashback two with the Halloween seance. Oh yeah, just out of nowhere, like we gotta do a seance. Uh, and like I don't really, I I'm not clear on what it is they were trying to accomplish with the seance, but uh, one of the drunk or one of the junkie guys just starts screaming his head off. I think it's Spider. Uh, I think so, something like that. We, we we will see Spider a few times throughout the movie, but uh, the Halloween seance is pretty brief in terms of flashback. It's just, it's a disaster, and mm-hmm. uh, Patty Lorraine leaves him the next day. It's like, next morning, she leaves with the chauffeur. Yeah, and she's like, you and your stupid seance. I seance. Yeah, it's clearly not his seance. It was not something he had any interest in, because he does not have an interest in things. Well, to be fair, he was... You can see he was trying not to laugh during the seance. That's almost a personality trait. I suppose so. Uh, And I love here he dramatically goes to the attic with a picture of her so he can symbolically behead it with the paper slicer. (laughs) I mean, tough guys do be prone to some emo outbursts, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, If Linkin Park existed, he'd be listening to that. It's It was almost adorable. Like, he runs up and he's looking out the window at her driving away as he does it. Uh, <laughs> it's adorable. Don't waste your time on me. You're... Oh, that's not what that song's about. Uh, so then Tim uh, finally, like, in, in the present day, Tim admits to Dougie, like, okay, yeah, so also there's a dead body. And I'm not sure that I'm not the one who did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, just kind of out of nowhere, it's like bodies. He says the bodies in the cellar or something. Yeah, and I had a premonition something bad was going to happen. <laughs> oh yeah, he says that quite a bit around here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I guess this is around where we meet Jessica and Lonnie. Oh right, yeah. The, okay, the the wasp couple. And like almost like it's it's sort of unclear whether they're even a couple like she's in real estate, she tells him, and she used to be a porn star. And he kind of maybe is just her sugar daddy. She's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Brassy. (laughs) Incredibly profoundly thirsty. Yeah, she's very brassy. She's very loud. Uh, she's smoking a cigar. It's a very like '80s uh, power lady thing, like corporate lady. I think uh, okay. Demi Moore in Disclosure is <laughs> a cigar smoker. Yeah, and he he Tim is just staring at these two who are here for not really sure why. To pick They're him up. Through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know that yet. No, but, like, it does seem like they're there to pick somebody up. It, it almost, like, it It feels like they're looking for a third. Oh, yes. 
But it turns out that Lonnie is totally not into that at all. Like, <laughs> well, the way they communicate that too at first, he's like, "I'm not bored," and she's like, "Well, I am." Yeah, it's weird because like they in they collectively invite him back to their house to do coke, and. It, it seems like they're moving towards this situation. And I think maybe it's that, and and this is referenced later, that he is gay. Yeah. So maybe it's just that he's he's not pleased with the situation, that Tim is uninterested in him and is only interested in the lady. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. it's never stated. It never well, comes up. That kind of could be what he means when he's like crying in the name of decency would you let me speak i i like right maybe that's supposed to be will you let me have a turn could be or but something like a really weird way of saying it yeah because that is what happens he ends up crying but we got some great lines before that like uh what was it he said tim says to them like i don't know i feel pretty demented tonight <laughs> demented in what way because that's the thing people ask yeah demented in what way <laughs> yeah <laughs> what kind of drugs were they <laughs> what kind of what kind of money uh, I, well i feel like i could fuck your woman right in front of you and she's like super into it he's just like like oh. huh well Oh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, only if she agrees. Like, oh, right. Completely yeah. misreading the situation. <laughs> She's like just she already agrees. walking to him. Yeah. But they don't have sex there in the house because when he's crying and uh, shouting at them while they're having sex, they're outdoors. Oh, uh, yeah, but I don't. They're having sex against the Jeep. <laughs> right, right. Uh, like on the beach. I think. Yep, I guess, I guess so. And it's I mean, totally it's unclear how they when, get between when there. When stuff yeah, happens in this scene. Yeah, because we only get fragments of this scene because Tim was blackout drunk. Uh, and is, is just like on a two-week bender, and he only remembers little fragments of the whole thing. So it's sort of a fear and loathing in Las Vegas remembrance in places. Kind of, yeah. Um, it also has kind of has a little... No, 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 not really memento. Nah, yeah. Uh, so finally, Tim wakes up from the bender with a Madeline tat. I guess he must have gone on a bender reading Proust. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't really find out who Madeline is for quite a while. Uh, although no, that no, is Isabella Rossellini's character, as we'll later on learn. Uh, and Fair he also, later. yeah, quite a bit later, like. You have Isabella Rossellini. Have more Isabella Rossellini in your movie. Yeah. Uh, so he finds bloody jeans in his Jeep and he rushes inside to wash them. But he also immediately receives a call from Regency that the neighbors had already reported seeing them. <laughs> um, and then is this where he tells them to come down to the station? Yes. Oh, and then they have this. One of many weird, weird, weird back and forths. Yeah, and this one is primarily about Regency knows about his weed, and he's totally into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, he's basically just saying, 
move your stash. I don't have a stash. Move your stash. I don't care. Just just move it. Which is pretty suspicious. And Tim goes to check his stash. Uh, and this is when he finds a really fakey, I should say, severed head. It looks it, terrible. <laughs> it's clearly like an eye drawn on a beige, like just a a, a, a beige, uh, like a, a the like head a of a head. dummy. Yeah, it's yeah. totally a mannequin head. Yeah, and there's um, just like one eye and a wig. At this point, who could have set? Who, who could have put it there? I yeah, don't who know. could have? Right? How could, who could it possibly? It's supposed to be treated like this big mystery of who's done the thing, but like. It's so obvious at this point. And also, when he opens the bag and he spots the severed head, he hilariously runs away. Like, it should have <laughs> yakety sex playing. He just puts <laughs> it back. He just drops it. And, like, it should have yakety sex. <laughs> like, it's absolutely comical the way he tears out of there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's see. So then next, the guy from the uh, the uh, the bar tender or the bar owner stops by uh, to tell Tim that the couple, uh, Jessica and Lonnie, uh, although they, he doesn't know the names. Uh, he, right. Even though he owns the hotel they're at? I oh, no, it's not a hotel. It's a bar. You're right. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. just a bar. Uh, but he's concerned because their car is still parked in the parking lot. Uh, and he has the guy's name as Larry Pangborn, but he doesn't know the lady's name. And he looks ex- extremely suspicious of Tim. But the bartender is kind of weird in his, in his self. Going to a patron's house to ask about another patron. There's yeah. other ways to do that. Yeah, like maybe he lives just down the road and he just like walked over, but it is weird. And I don't really know what he has to do with everything else. He does seem like he's at some point in, in on the take with what the police chief is doing, but I don't know if it's ever made exactly clear with this character. Not really. We don't see, I don't think we see a lot of him again after this. No. I think he just exists to, I he just know. exists to show up and be suspicious and like trouble. Another red herring, Mary, maybe, maybe, maybe. um, he like I, I think there's a couple times when he's interviewed regarding this night, but that's pretty much it. Right. Uh, so so Tim then goes to visit the two weirdos from the seance, which is a uh, spider and I I did not catch the other guy's name. Uh, Studi. Studi. Yeah, I think that's Stubi. So it's definitely something really close to that. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to ask what they were screaming about. Uh, so the guy, and, and I think it's Spider, he says, oh, he saw Patty Lorraine decapitated. Yeah, but first he's like saying to this guy, like, yo, I don't want to talk about the seance. Let's talk about the deal, of which Tim is completely oblivious. He doesn't even know about a deal. Yeah, he and people keep bringing up this deal that he is totally lost about. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's part it's part of the mystery. Yeah, it's this deal that just exists outside of him that everybody seems to be tying him into. Yeah. Uh, and he also finds out that the roommate, uh, I, I guess it's Stuby or Studi, uh, did the Madeline tat uh, when Tim was blackout drunk. And he was asking for it because he'd wronged her. 
it's funny because he's like, you wanted me to put it on your forehead. I should have put it on your forehead. I would have ruined your life, man, but I put it on your arm. You got to thank me, man. Thank you, lucky you bro. So, <laughs> you were so drunk, man. It's like, like wow. The, these two felt like these two felt like modern characters. These two do feel very modern. Like they feel like they could be in Burn After Reading or like one of those Coen Brothers comedies. Yeah. They feel like those sort of dudes. Uh so, and the cop, uh Regency calls calls <laughs> them to call yeah. to bring him to the bar because he just knows that they're at their at this guy's house. Um, but we still don't know who the culprit is, who the mastermind is. Nope, couldn't be anybody. I, who could, <laughs> could it be? be? Could be Spider. You never know. <laughs> uh, uh, so, and he's he's at the bar because uh, Lonnie has been found dead in the trunk of the car. And they say after committing suicide. <laughs> yeah, he put himself into the trunk of the car and shot himself is what they say. Yeah, somehow. Uh, People and commit suicide. That's that's not. You don't put yourself in the trunk of a car. It's crazy. Uh, and just like uh, here is where uh, Regency is just very homophobic. Just talking about how he really wants to kill gay people as the chief of police, oh, yeah. grinning. I'm a simple country boy. Like, wow. <laughs> like, this, yeah, this is, yeah. at a point, it does feel satirical. Oh, yeah. Like, I, yeah. this is at least something that I, I want to give uh, Norman Mailer the, the benefit of the doubt that this character is wildly over the top and is meant as, like, a criticism of just bad police. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Oh, so that's, this- that is interesting. This character is. I love this character. Yeah, as an antagonist. And like, I love Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser gives a hell of a performance in most stuff that you that I've seen him in. Like, he he's very Gary Busey like, but he's kind of always stayed in the lower budget, and like, he just has all of these crazy performances like this. This guy has no. This guy has no chill. This cop. Not the slightest. Oh my god. He's, he he he's always running at like a hundred miles an hour. Uh and we also learn that Madeline Falco is his wife. And uh I hear you used to know her. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like, Yeah, we we met a few times at the bar. Right. And then we have a flashback to a relationship he had with her. To, like, a huge relationship that changed both their lives. Uh, and this, obviously, is Isabella Rossellini, finally. Yep. Oh, who really doesn't feel like she looks like, seem like she wants to be here. No, she she feels, like, I, I don't think this style, uh, well, like, you know, she's a European actress. She's kind of coming from a very different way of making films and... Uh, I mean, Norman Mailer is not a filmmaker, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I suspect it was a weird experience because just the the way everybody acts is very bizarre. So the direction must have been all over the place, and the dialogue uh, it must is, have been. The dialogue is weird, and 
I, she, like English is not her first language. So I don't know. Maybe it was just like, I don't even know what I'm saying or why anyone's saying this nonsense. Could be. Could be. So like they meet, we, we get just like their meeting, but it very quickly goes to them being an unhappy couple. Uh, and it's um, him. Please go ahead. There's, there's a line that he says, she, she read his like journal or something. <laughs> this oh, yeah. is a great, one of those great lines. Your ass is more real to me than your mind. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's like, how could you say this about me? And he's like, you weren't supposed to read that. It's like, what an you know, that's the defense. Oh, my right. God. Uh, and a, he's. He's pretty loathsome most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he proposes a fateful foursome with a swinger couple. And this sort of is what sets everything in motion, ironically. Yep. Yep. So the couple. Oh, this is... <laughs> the couple is Patty Lorraine, who we've met earlier. And Pen... this is Penn Jillette, right? This is Penn Jillette, who's a revivalist preacher. Big stoop. Big stoop. <laughs> uh, he, he's great for like the five minutes he's in this movie he is great uh he plays it big but he plays it big in a self-aware way like it is clear comic energy where a lot oh, of them yes. like i don't know how much of this is melodrama with him it's obvious Pen comic energy pendulet knew what movie he was in yeah he got it <laughs> Uh, and he gives a comic sexy sermon the next day after they have their not altogether successful foursome. Like they, they kind of well, just swap. I, I guess they both, they yeah. all have a good time, but the next day nobody's happy except, uh, well, Big Stoop and Patty Lorraine honestly are both totally thrilled. They had a great time, but, uh, Tim and Madeline did not. Yeah. Yeah. And Madeline Madeline for especially. some reason blames well no not I, sorry I shouldn't say for some reason blames Tim this was Tim's idea this was she's Tim right idea. to blame Tim she, Although, she's right to blame him yeah she had a really good time the night before but she's angry about it the next morning and they get in a fight leaving and get in a car accident uh, yep uh, and she is injured so that she can no longer conceive yeah, uh, which yeah is a, a big deal for later. Uh, and mm -hmm. <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines from after this, when he decides he's going to go into drug dealing. Uh, and so this is how he ended up in jail. Uh, she says, how do I know you're going to fuck up? And he says, I'll never get busted. And then there's a <laughs> literal smash cut to him in prison. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> 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 yep <laughs> smash cut to him in prison so good uh, <laughs> i was very pleased with that like that's that's a good comic edit uh, that was great that was great <laughs> uh and then when he gets out patty lorraine shows up rich uh, and she's following through on she made him a promise when they were doing the foursome uh that she was going to be his sugar mama so he could write when he when she when he gets out right she because the foursome was so good for her she was gonna divorce big stoop find another rich guy divorce him get all the money and marry and then marry tim 
but that time she's going to be loyal. Yeah, and I mean, to her credit, in the meantime, she has divorced Big Stoop and then married a rich guy and divorced him for, or she's about to divorce him. Uh, and it's, that doesn't have to be about, that's not about keeping the promise. She just wants money and she gets it. True, but she did come to marry Tim, like specifically to, to support him. And I don't understand why, because she doesn't seem to like him and he does not seem to like her. But yeah, she I made him this it. promise and she's it following through on it. Really good sex. I guess. Like. And she's like making up an abuse story to cash in. And it turns out that like Tim knew this guy in college as well. Yeah, Wardley. Wardley something the third. <laughs> oh, this I love this guy. This is another one of this my guy favorite is, characters. This guy's probably my favorite character in the movie. He has my second favorite moment. He has uh, good he has great moments. Um I'm curious to see which one you're what you're gonna say is your favorite or second favorite. Yeah. Um so he warns Tim that Patty Lorraine is dangerous. Uh, but he's also like, but I want her back. She throws the sickest parties ever. And that's all I want to do with my life is throw sick parties. <laughs> now, now, Wardley, his accent. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh. I was not doing it the slightest bit of justice there. It's his like Cape Cod Southern. sounds like, well, I, I was mentioning in chat before, but it sounds like, like, like me trying to do Hank Hill badly is what Wardley sounds like. Like, well, I want her back. She, um, oh, what was it? Oh God, I can't. I, I lost what he just said, but I, I, I don't know the actual line, but it's just she throws dangerous. the sickest part. But she throws the sickest part is at a water back. And like, he's willing to like pay to get her back from tim but i i don't know why tim ends up with like i guess it's she wants to be with him it's it's a whole weird thing because there's never any chemistry between the two of them well i'd argue there isn't any chemistry between anybody but that's a whole <laughs> other thing i mean that's true too. except except between regency and tim there's chemistry there there's Only chemistry, chemistry there. but there is chemistry yeah there there are vibes um so back in the present, Tim phones Madeline, but she doesn't want to talk. She hangs up on him. So he drives all the way over to uh, Regency's house because she's his wife. Right. Uh, and just um, his house, the decoration. Wow. Like just a, yeah. a whole wall full of Chekhov's guns. <laughs> Literal gun on the mantelpiece. I, I, tons of I them. was waiting. It's like, where, when is this going to fire off? Well, see, they decided instead. One... They decided instead to have Chekhov's machete because he has a Vietnam revenge wall with a space for a machete, and the machete is conspicuously absent. It, it's like the that thing you see in cartoons where, like, the wall is like slightly gray, and then there's a machete-shaped white part of yeah. the wall. <laughs> and like there's also a helpful illustrative photo of him holding it with both the machete and himself covered in blood underneath <laughs> the spot yeah and he's got like this is this one with, he's got like this crazy grin on his face yeah, yeah like amazing this is the i love murdering people with the machete photo it's so amazing like, i cannot believe it 
And so Madeline talks about how great her sex life is with Regency. And there's it's probably the dumbest line of the movie, the Mr. Five thing. Oh, I, I that line made me just, I don't want to use the word cringe because it's turned into something else. But that yeah. line made me cringe in the original meaning of the word. Like, oh, I did. That line makes me unhappy. I, I out loud said, yuck. Yes, <laughs> I wrote, yes. I wrote a frowny face in my notes. <laughs> oh, but and then, very importantly, right here, she gives Tim a letter. And I'm and like immediately I'm going, oh, 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 the letter. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like this scene. So this is the big scene. This is certainly my favorite scene. And I think it's kind of just the most iconic scene of the film. This was uh, the only scene I had heard or seen going in. This it, was the only thing I knew about this movie was this one scene. And it is like incredible high camp. And there's just like what what really blows me away in watching the movie like knowing it already as a meme and i already knew it as a meme going into the movie myself it's that there's all this ceremony leading up to the moment because like he parks the jeep next to this majestic sand bluff and he walks slowly to the water's edge and angelo battlementi's score it's just like he's just scoring the shit out of it there's like it's, it's gonna it's be the most whatever's gonna happen ever. it's gonna be the biggest thing in this man's life whatever it, he reads it's, it's so big and then we have voiceover from from isabella rosalini and just very matter of factly it's like my husband is sleeping with your wife and he might kill someone over it and before the the voiceover is finished like stepping over the final lines of the voiceover we get <laughs> we get ryan o'neill going oh man oh god oh man oh god and starting to spin oh. <laughs> he has like a panic attack he but has a panic he... attack but it's so flat <laughs> he, the way he delivers the line uh the, the reason why i thought that this might be the one that was like troll two is because the way he delivers the line is the, reminds me of the oh, way yeah. the famous troll two line gets delivered. Right. Like, Oh like, my God. Oh my yeah. God. It's like that. Oh man. Oh God. Oh man. Oh God. Like, Oh man. Oh God. Oh man. Oh God. And like in the interviews on the disc. Uh, so like, this is the new vinegar syndrome disc and it has, uh, interviews with Mailer. It has an interview with the cinematographer. It has an interview with Wings Hauser, uh, and maybe a fourth person. Every single one of them talks about this scene. And like the cinematographer's like, I told him not to do it. I said, don't do this scene. Just cut it out of the movie. It's stupid and it won't work. <laughs> and Mailer himself, he's like, yeah, the scene. I don't know. It it just didn't work. And he just like kind of off the cuff gives his own reading of oh man oh god oh man oh god and he makes it work just off the cuff it's like right because that's the way you're supposed to say it why didn't he say it that way in the movie <laughs> like uh, it's incredible like it's it's, so, it's a masterpiece of a scene it's so unbelievable I, i'm just thinking about it the whole time it's like based on what i know about this character 
I don't see why he'd react this way and have a panic attack to reading that letter, given all the stuff that's already happened to him. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I guess it's, is it maybe him finally putting the pieces together at this point? Because he doesn't oh, seem figuring, to. Maybe but figuring out who's finally setting him up. <laughs> yeah, <as> a, like, <laughs> somehow it's finally hit him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the cops here are like, hey, I'm setting you up for murder right now. Go check out your stash. I, I put a head there. Yeah, and, and, like, and he never puts it together. He doesn't because there are still scenes later after this where people are saying, hey, I hear somebody setting you up for murder. <laughs> He's like, what? oh, yeah, no, like even now he hasn't put it together. <laughs> no. So then uh, someone creep. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's at the it's after this point. Someone phones him and says he's being framed for murder. And then he goes outside and Regency picks him up immediately. <laughs> It's like, oh, good. Regency, he'll help me get to the bottom of whoever's yeah, framing he, me for gonna, murder. And Regency's like, hey, it's me. I'm framing you for murder. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to help me find out who's framing me for murder? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Got any coke? <laughs> so finally, Jessica has been ID'd, but she's still missing at this point, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, and Tim admits to Regency is like, okay, I admit it. We we had sex. I'm pretty sure nothing else happened, but I was really blackout drunk and I don't really remember. Uh, so then they just have a few drinks and smoke weed in the police chief's office. And this is where he gets into the things like, oh yeah, I hear there's this big coke deal planned, and uh, you're suspected as the connect. He's like, oh yeah, here's where we finally about? start to learn about the coke deal that. He's just been ignoring. Yeah, that doesn't that, that seems to just be Regency's thing that I don't even know. How, Tim doesn't have anything to do with this. Is there even a Coke deal? I don't know, because someone they, ends up with the money. I don't know if anyone ever ends up with the Coke. I think there was I think the Coke was a lie. I think that's I think that's what it was. The Coke was a lie. I think it was Patty Lorraine making it up to get money for Coke. <laughs> I, I don't know. The whole thing with the Coke deal is really. That's one thread that I sort of lost because <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't make a matter. lot of sense. It's just. It doesn't matter either. It really is. And this is where he has one of my favorite lines of his, where he says, I'm a law enforcement agent and it turns me on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gives this whole story about like how he caught somebody because of evidence. Yeah. And, and he's talking to Tim about evidence, evidence, evidence. And it's like, hey, Tim, like he, it, it is like, hey, Tim, remember how this guy knows about your stash and told you about it like the day before or like five minutes before you found the head in your stash? And now he's talking about evidence he's. He's telling you that he's setting you up. And he keeps phoning you at other people's houses and showing up outside of places that you are at, like, weird moments. Hmm. Yeah, like, <laughs> this guy's not, not your friend. Hero. He's very dim. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Regency knows, like, he knows how dumb this guy is. He's just fucking with him. Because he doesn't even... <laughs> Well, that, that's the point. He does care because it turns out he has a motivation for all this. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So 
it's how dumb is Tim? Literally, it is at this point a full hour into the movie that he goes back to the stash to find out whose head it is. He he had a dream, a nightmare, like even right after finding the head where people were whispering at him, whose head is it? Whose head is it? Whose yeah. head is it? Like, uh, <laughs> and he didn't. Now I see why this it. guy was able to go to jail in a smash cut. It was so good. This guy is not meant for criminal anything. He has so, not listened to enough true crime prog- podcasts. Clearly has not. Uh, and it turned now there's two heads, as uh, which is obviously a big problem. Uh, <laughs> and he brings them both home. Yeah. And arriving home, there's a strange car waiting in the driveway. So this oh, is where the, the junkies, this is Spider and uh, Studi making their return appearance to blackmail. Right, right. And, and this is where we're introduced to the dog who instantly, oh my gosh. hilariously jumps up and bites this guy's face. And the way it's shot is hysterical because it's very fakey looking right away. <laughs> And it's not a real dog. It is not a real dog. And he like we we show the guy stab it and like the thing fucking turns into a roller carpet. (laughs) It's one of the funniest fake dogs I've ever seen. (laughs) And the thing is, this dog we we have never this is apparently Tim's dog, his best friend. We've never seen him before. He's never been referenced before. He never gets referenced again. Uh, but for about for five six. minutes, for about 30 seconds, he gets to go John Wick. <laughs> the, the incredible line. <laughs> he, he, so he beats up the other guy because the dog has taken care of the, the other dude because he, he bit his face really bad. Uh, and the, the guy is still getting up because the dog was on top of him. He's like, show mercy, man. He says, your knife is in my dog. <laughs> uh, and he just smashes up the car with. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, dude. Uh, in, instead you know of what hitting, John Wick would have done. Yeah. He, he smashes up the car and it's not their car. It's Wardley's car. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and he never thinks to ask why these guys have Wardley's very distinct car yeah it's a strange car it's, it's like an it's antique pure white like yeah 30s like rolls royce or something yeah like nobody else has this car right now in this area like we're we're to understand that he woke up from a bender at the start of this have we missed him continuing to be on a bender between the scenes that like he's he's like <laughs> secret drinking as an alcoholic <laughs> character but like between the scenes when we don't see him it's like he's hiding it from the audience oh my god that's my best take that's that's my new favorite take i love it yes that's what's happening he's hiding it from us <laughs> and and of course like after smashing up their car and leaving them just bleeding in the driveway cuz he doesn't kill them or anything he no, just carries he on yeah, he just carries on inside with his bag of murder evidence, two two heads. Yep. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, they they introduced a jo- a dog just to kill it to show how bad these guys are, but then these guys don't show up ever again. No, this is the last time we see them. When when we next hear about them, they have been murdered off screen like uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, yeah. So the next morning, he hears a teapot, and Dougie has shown up magically again to uh, take care of the heads. Well, this is where we cut back to the present, I think, because it's the yes. same scene. Yeah. Um, so we finally caught up, like, what, an hour into the movie? Uh, this would be like an hour and 20 by, by this point. Really? I, it feels like there's a lot left still. Wardley's barely did done anything. I know. Well, like, all of the Wardley stuff is just that huge exposition dump. Yeah, yeah, that that takes a while, or at least it, it feels like it does. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a wild scene. Uh, so... Dougie says he's going to take care of the heads, and we do get confirmation that they are Patty and Jessica, both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so Dougie goes and drops them in the ocean. And Not very far out from their house, though, it looks oh, like. like. You can see him from the house, so that doesn't seem like a good spot. No. Because like, I... she lived there. Yeah. They're going to catch on to that one. It's like... <laughs> It's like when it's like when Robert Durst put the body of the one person in the lake right outside his house. <laughs> uh, so Madeline calls Tim to say that she's scared of Regency now. Uh, he's been dressing up in his green beret uniform, <laughs> keeping his machete in the police car. So still at this point, it's like he is going completely off the rails now. And are you not catching on yet? <laughs> And so then, even more amazingly, Tim goes for a drive to go see what's going on, and he finds Regency's car just parked across two spaces, the engine's running, doors open, and Regency (laughs) is nowhere to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) Just in the middle of town. Yep. (laughs) I can't Uh, even remember where he ended up being at this point. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, he, so Tim shuts the car off. He takes the machete cause it's in the trunk. So he's like, okay, well, it's probably better that I have this than he has this. Yeah, uh, and then yeah. Wardley shows up to the car. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Car, he's like, well, uh, those other two are dead. Uh, and he carjacks Tim and he marches him out the breakwater. <laughs> and here this we have is... the Wardley diaries. Uh, so, so at this point, the this is Wardley's confessions. He he's getting into everything that has happened in the movie that we didn't know about and we're oblivious to. Um so here's where some of my favorite lines show up. Excellent. Um, um so at one point he's like marching him down the breakwater and he just shoots the gun up into the air and Tim looks at him <laughs> and says, Why do that, Wardley? He just says, Exuberance. That's great. And so like good. Wordly is definitely someone who is having a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> they they like cross over the breakwater into a sand dune and they like go camping. They start a <laughs> they start a fire. They like yeah, have a they, campfire. But meanwhile, he's just like shooting at him, not quite randomly, <laughs> but just like just, just to scare ran- him here and there. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so like Wardley has all of the answers. He put everything together and he was kind of in the background of all of it and maybe did like he did several of these murders. Yeah. Yeah. So what we learned first, or, or do you have any other things before getting into the flashback? Yes. Um, okay. The way he introduces the flashback is beautiful. Uh, I wrote it down because this is one of my favorite lines in the movie. Excellent. I believe it's the kind of moment where we're oh, yeah. able to see what others have done when we weren't there. I see yeah. such odd things when I pull the trigger. That's amazing. He He's able to, uh, like, so th- this is, could also have been used in Silver Bullet last week, so we could understand why the little girl was able to see the priest's dreams. <laughs> well... Yeah, but it would have worked better if we just didn't have that story be from the little girl's narration. But I mean, ideally. <laughs> but the priest's dreams didn't make sense anyway, so we didn't need that scene. <clears throat> so it is a similar situation. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Uh, uh, so first we learn that uh, Jessica killed Lonnie on the beach, like right after Tim left, basically. Uh, she shot him and put him in the trunk. Right, because he didn't stop Tim from seducing her. And it's yeah. Like, Girl, you were so into it. She was so into it. And like they were supposed to seduce him for part of this whole larger deal because Patty was in charge of this, too. Because they call, like, Jessica calls Patty right away to say that, to like, to, to come pick her up on the beach or something like that. Yeah, you're going to have to, if, if you can. Uh, I could not follow the actual, this is the answers to the conspiracy right here, and I couldn't <laughs> follow any of it. So I know most of it. And, and here, it's, it's basically Patty was the person in charge at the beginning. She was the one who's, like, doing all of this. And so... After Jessica kills Lonnie, Patty and Regency go to pick her up. Uh, and then Patty murders Jessica. And then Patty goes fucking insane. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what 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 exactly took place. But, like, after she kills Jessica, she loses her mind. Uh, and then she and Regency have this weird sex scene where... Uh, like after they plant the head in the weed stash and this is where she's yelling about whores. Yeah. She, she yells so much about whores and then it brings us back to the seance. She mentions, I think, I don't know if it's here or later. She goes back to mentioning the seance. Yes, totally. And how that's like these two spirits of whores keep talking to her and she's just lost her mind now. Yeah. Like it's, one of the other movies I watched this week that I'll talk about later is Witchboard, and I it, this it it seems like Witchboard also happened in this movie, and someone got possessed by an evil spirit at some point in the background. Yeah, <laughs> off screen, of course. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of this movie, even though it's so much exposition, still happens off screen without us being told about it. Totally. Uh, like, so... like his secret vendor. Yeah, it's his secret bender that we don't really know what happened in most of that time. Uh, so then Spider and Studi or Stuby show uh, they call up Wardley 
after they find Jessica's headless corpse and they oh, want in on it. Right. Right. They want the they're, drugs. They're... They want the blackmail. They want all of it. Yeah. They're thinking that because of this, uh, like first, like one guy says, this is straight out of the seance. Cause I guess this <laughs> is what he saw. And he's like now saying he can control the narc, like, because he has this body, he can control Regency. And it's like, Oh boy, you're so dead. Yeah, he, he's completely wrong about that. <laughs> and then Patty calls Wardley as well, and he wants her back, but he's more interested in getting the drugs. But she, this is where she reveals the like, she wants more money for the drugs, but also she doesn't have any drugs. She's just blackmailing him. <laughs> right, right. So he murders her. Uh, and then. How she ended up decapitated as well is, uh, I think Spider or the other guy uh, did that in order to do more blackmailing. Uh, but then Wardley murders both of them too. <laughs> right. Wardley goes back and forth between being a super badass and a total pathetic sad sack, like at the drop of a hat. Yeah, and that's kind of exemplified by when we cut back to the conclusion of him uh, talking to Tim about all this because first he threatens suicide, then he threatens rape to Tim. Yeah. And then this is my favorite other moment, his final moment in the film. <laughs> he says, uh, I just want you to put an arm around me. And then just very comically and nonchalantly, he just shoots himself in the heart. But like, it's clearly like they didn't have an effect or a prop gun or anything. It's just a <laughs> gun sound effect. Oh my god. Yeah. Fair like it's it's like the Christopher George death in Enter the Ninja, the the great shrug death. It's it's much like that. One one of those just like that's one of those perfect movie deaths that you can never reproduce. <laughs> yeah. And at this point I don't understand why he killed himself. No, I have no idea. It just Did, it's, it's he what he had to do point? at this point. I guess I'm he has does he have the money i mean someone has the money i think regency maybe still has the money he didn't so my understanding if i remember right regency just sort of showed up in the middle of the scheme and took it over yeah because it was patty's scheme but then he yeah. starts sleeping with patty and i guess they had maybe like it was partially his scheme as well that they were plotting to uh, just because of Tim's drug past that he'd been in jail, he'd be easy to set up for it. And uh, because she knew Wardley, he's an easy mark to get drug money because he loves parties. I think that's basically how it sort of all came together. But okay. I don't think any of that is actually directly stated in the movie. Well, well, we know that Regency, part of his motivation, at least for all this, was to get revenge on Tim. Right, because and Which and that's we'll what we get that short, later, yeah, shortly, like right here. Okay. Because uh, so Tim gets back to his house where Regency is waiting for him, but so is Madeline. Uh, she's hiding outside in the bushes, and they kiss. And at this moment, I was like, "Wait a second, is this movie a romance between these two? And it is. That's is what it? this movie oh, no, is about. That's right. <laughs> that's I cannot right. believe that after all this, that's what this movie ends up being about." unbelievable yeah so meanwhile i guess dougie is having drinks with regency in his house while regency's wearing his green beret 
murder yeah. uniform. Yeah, and uh, he's talking about enough. he's talking about his two sides, the enforcer and the maniac. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Life gives a man two balls. <laughs> And he says, that he says to Tim, he's like, you haven't met the maniac. You haven't met the maniac. Uh, and then this is when he blames Tim for Madeline's womb uh, being damaged. Yeah, which. Gross. Yeah. Um, but, and then, uh, but then Tim tells him that Wardley killed Patty and he just immediately has a stroke. Oh yeah, he has, a, he has a stroke at this point. Regency just has a stroke, and that's that's him dealt with pretty much. Well, not uh, quite. Not quite. Yeah, no. We we have one more important scene with him because Madeline has to say her goodbye to him. Yeah. So, so instead please, of taking him to a hospital, they're no. just they just lie him down in his bedroom where he's. Well, I, I mean, he's, he's... he tried to frame them for murder, so well, yeah, yeah, screw this that's guy. Fair. I mean, he's horrible. He, he <laughs> he's is... an amazing character, but a horrible person. Oh, he needs to not be alive. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so he, he starts calling her names. Yeah. And oh, he's going off at her, like just screaming at her about all this shit. And finally, somehow, I don't remember how it gets there, but he says that she's small potatoes. Small potatoes. And then Dougie's like, yeah. (laughs) Dougie's like, never call an Italian small potatoes. Never call an Italian woman small potatoes. And it's a weirdly jokey ending because this is pretty much it. Then we cut to Dougie and Tim dumping bodies somewhere in the ocean to the tune of Pockle Bell's cannon for some reason. Yeah. Um, and, and he says something like schizophrenia is the cure for cancer. Or maybe cancer is the cure for schizophrenia. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and Tim and Madeline buy a new house together with the illicit drug money. Uh, they all lived happily after ever after the end. <laughs> but we have scary laughter and scary music right before we get to the credits. Yeah, sure. And, and, and the <laughs> subtitles, because I, I always watch with sub- subtitles, it says right. Patty laughing. And I'm like, ooh, the ghost of ghosts. Patty. I mean, th- which board? <laughs> Are there ghosts in this movie? Is Maybe. there a supernatural element? Or is everyone just on so much cocaine that they might as they're on I love so this movie. I, I kinda do. Like it's it's grown on me a lot over multiple viewings in the past couple of weeks. It's just wild. Like there is nothing else like this movie. It's it's in the same vein as like a Cinderella 2000 where it's just like, how did this end up existing? And <laughs> what is like every second of this is unreal. Did nobody uh, <laughs> say, hey, like there's so many scenes where like somebody could have said, hey, here's maybe a better way we could do this. But, well, they didn't. I mean, but like clearly some of them did because we know the cinematographer literally tried to talk Mailer oh, yeah. out of the old man oh god scene, but he was wrong. <laughs> I mean, so it wasn't a good scene, but it needed. <laughs> I'm glad it's there. 
Yeah, I, apparently this is based on a true crime story. Uh, a guy <laughs> named Tony Costa, like very loosely, but this apparently like this was in the headlines, and that's what uh, Norman Mailer in, inspired Mailer uh, to write this. Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, I, I guess like any last thoughts, I would say first just regarding the disc. Uh, we've talked about the transfer is beautiful. Uh, the commentary tracks quite interesting, really deep analysis of the movie by a Mailer scholar, which was very interesting. Okay, uh, okay. And each of the interviews is pretty cool. And the trailer is so good. Oh, shoot. I was supposed to watch, watch that tra- first. Oh, you should watch the trailer. Oh, I should have watched the trailer. You told me to. <laughs> the trailer is great. Uh, absolutely essential. Its own piece of art. It's got Mailer in it, introducing the film and reading Bad Press. Absolutely, watch it. Uh, just overall, yeah, I, like I recommend this disc. Like it's it's awesome. <laughs> it, it's, it's a real full experience getting uh, all of the interviews and stuff as well. Yeah, like this. This isn't a good movie. No, but it's an amazing movie. Yeah, it's there. It's so wild all the time. It's an easy recommend for me. Cool. Yeah, I, I would say unless you're somebody who, unless you're somebody who like wants your movies to be good, because yeah, like if you're or, or to make sense or good films. Like this is a movie that I I feel like people need to see because it's just there's it's it's just so crazy that it can't even be explained without you seeing it. <laughs> like. I, I, I compared I've compared it to the room, but it's not like the room. It's just it has that similar energy of you can't really explain the room until you've seen it. Yeah. And this is kinda like that. And and I think also similar to the room, it's one that amplifies in experience the more you watch it and the more you watch it with other people and kind of enjoy it with others. I can't, I can't wait to show this to um, some of our friends for the first time. Absolutely. Uh, so any last thoughts before we move on? Uh, we'll, we'll do a thing regarding moves just to, for this one. Okay. Yep. Uh, so this is not actually replaced by anything in the stacks because this was a provisional stack of just new shit that had just arrived. Uh, that this was obviously at the top of because of this movie. <laughs> However, I did finish the Al Adamson box this week, oh. and it's not its own stack. It's uh, just it was in a stack. So uh, I, I know you want to check out more of that. Where do you want to go next with the Adamson box? Well. Like, do you want to start with the doc? Do you want to do one of his other films? Um. Uh, yeah, let's put let's put one of his other ones into the stack. Like maybe maybe move it up to the top because I think you started watching that set before we started doing this, right? Oh yeah, I wa- I started watching like a full year ago. <laughs> oh wow, okay. So if we put some while. of the earlier stuff towards the top, it would that wouldn't be too soon for you? Oh yeah, no, I I'm totally ready to rewatch a bunch of these. Uh, let's so- do it. Is there anything in particular? Should I just choose one? I don't remember what any of them are called, so I'll trust your judgment on this one. You, okay. you haven't, you didn't steer me wrong with Cinderella. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so I'll, I'll put one of those on there, and uh, I mean, it will also be active in the spooky stacks, which will oh, be all of October yeah. when we'll be doing exclusively horror. 
which I have already got sort of built and will uh, I, I think we gotta do Dracula versus Frankenstein, the greatest Al Adamson picture. Okay, okay, I'm into it. All right, so uh, let's uh, take a quick break and we'll move on to our second part. Okay. All right, so uh, for our second part, we are talking about the 1983 Joe D'Amato film Endgame. Uh, sort of loosely part of the Bronx Warriors series. It's a series of post-apocalyptic series, uh, post-apocalyptic Italian movies that are about the the Bronx, uh, the New York borough of the Bronx, falling into disrepair and becoming uh, full of death squads. <laughs> oh, is that what the setting's supposed to be? Uh, I'm not sure if this one is technically part of the series, but in some versions of it it does have like in the original italian version it does have bronx in the name so probably because there's a bunch of these and they are all italian post-apocalyptic and it feels like it would fit in with them sort of uh and notably this is by claudio fragasso and rosella drudy who made uh who who made uh troll 2 or who wrote troll 2 that, okay, so so yeah, we had talked about that yesterday, last time, I and I got mixed. Actually, up. maybe maybe I'm mixed up. Maybe it's it's someone. It, it might be a different one uh, that they did. I I don't think they actually worked on. I I think this that one is not Fragasso. It's the other Joe D'Amato I watched last week. Uh, Robo War uh, was a Fragasso. Uh, but anyway, Endgame. It's it's Joe D'Amato who is uh in in that vein <laughs> he does a lot of knockoff films a lot of stuff that's uh, very much stolen from other movies uh and that shows through here big time yes yes um it's uh it's basic this movie's basically the running mad max yeah although it's interesting this movie is made before the running man oh shit um and and it's there's a bunch of these uh, like I, the new gladiators are uh, gladiators of the year 2072, which is one of the other ones I watched last week. That's from the following year and also precedes Running Man and is kind of the same plot where it's uh, just, you know, uh, gladiatorial murder sport that's televised. Although this one's a little less. This version's less futuristic. This one is kind of like the Hunger Games, where you just have these murderers who who exist in like a murderer league. <laughs> yeah, um, the specifics of how the game part of Endgame work aren't very well explained. Like how these people got chosen to be in this thing. They're not slaves or prisoners or anything. They they like they work for the thing. Turns out it doesn't matter. The the game part of Endgame is over in like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's really only right at the start, and it's to set up a couple characters. And just to set up like our main character and one semi-antagonist slash... Like, he's an antagonist... Dark except anti-hero he's, sexy rival. Yeah, uh, and he's got a weird relationship with the main character who spares his life at the beginning beginning-ish like at the end of this first sequence 
Um, and then he says that he has to pay a debt back to it because he spared his life. But he pays that debt off pretty quick. And then I don't know why he keeps following him around. Because he's in love with him. <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, well, she, the girl, the telepath girl says it's because he wants the gold. But I think she's just trying to uh, drive a wedge between them. Yeah, because honestly, I don't even remember the gold being ultimately much of a thing or, or even being any sort of thing at the end. Uh, they're they're much of gold. Yeah, but it. The box of gold pales to the fighting, the the erotic fighting <laughs> between the two of them. Because yeah. at the end, like the, the final freeze frame anyways. Uh, well, so at this first part, uh, also during his his brief tournament or his brief appearance in the game where, you know, he kills a few people uh, in it's like he, he like they're all ranked for having survived a bunch of these like th this seems to just be a sport now because it's the post-apocalypse of uh was this the one that is 2027 yeah 2025 2025 because um i i like i like seeing how realistic old apocalypse pr predictions can be in this one i you know i don't think we're that i think we're on track to hit this one Right, because like what we end up like with it's not here, a huge apocalypse, but it, it does have Nazi soldiers controlling what I believe to be is America. Yes, um, and it's post-nuclear, so yeah. that's why it's all kind of ruined and destroyed. So that but, sort of takes a. There's not much of a time element involved there. We do yeah. have a bunch of mutants. Yeah, like this, we, we could be on track to hit this one. <laughs> uh, and Ugh. this is also basically Days of Future Past. Yeah. There, there are I, these I government death squads. Well, it's government oh, death yeah, squads right. hunting down mutants. Uh, and yeah. the mutants, or a psychic, comes to hire our hero, hero in very strong quotes, uh, yeah. to uh, save them, to like drive a van full of psychic mutants rather than the uh divergent animutants animal man mutants who we'll meet a little bit later on oh uh, yes yes um it's hard to dis i i can't explain how but parts of this movie felt weirdly racist yeah i'd say that's true and and parts of it as well like i i think it's just sort of part and parcel of the joe damato style as it's sort of like a weird very cheap mockbuster and they the the way the dialogue is written is it like it's it's really sledgehammer dialogue so the characters are drawn pretty big and they do things in really weird ways like we we've had a few similar outings to this like the sect has kind of a similar energy, like just big, weird, uh, strange performances that just don't really jibe. Yeah, yeah. And like our main character kind of sucks. Like we, he's he's not very likable. He's he's very flat, like Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, but he's not entertaining to watch. He's not entertaining. He he's just really grim. He's in a shitty post-apocalyptic future that's not fun because it's it's a nazi future yeah yeah they 
I was like, hey, these guys look like Nazis. And then you see their forehead and they have the actual red SS. It's like, oh. Yeah, they have a full on SS. I think they're called the security service. It's the SS symbol. It's the SS symbol. Yeah. Yeah. But it's in red and it's on their the forehead of the helmet. Yeah. Uh, so I don't recall exactly the sequence of events because this is going back uh, quite a bit for me now. This is like two weeks away. Okay, yeah. Um, I've written it down, but I, I, I kind of wasn't all that into it, honestly, because I watched this immediately after watching Tough Guys, and uh, that was a tough act to follow. Yeah, well, that's why I was suggesting watch Endgame the watch day before first. instead. Yeah. It would have been a better, um, would it would have uh, take gone down better that way. Probably, it probably would have. Yeah, I was, I had thought about what order to watch them because then I it eventually went with Tough Guys first because I had a feeling I'd need a little bit more time to sit with that one. Yeah, true. Yeah, so um, we at some point we get like this military council thing they are using the game to distract people while their death squads do death squad things right and, which is sort um, of the main like the the main overall plot the, the yeah, just death yeah. squads death squatting but like you know in america you could just televise the death squad death squatting you don't have to distract anyone from anything they'll watch that well, I mean, it's literally already the sport is just televised murder, so it's it does seem weird, and it does it's not a secret in any way. Like these death no. squads are just going out murdering people publicly all the time. It, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. No. So we have, our, yeah, I guess our hero Ron Shannon. <laughs> Ron uh, Shannon. He, yeah, Name he gets out of the too. game. Uh, he meets up with Lilith, who. Whatever we could say about her character, she's gorgeous. Oh my god, I just could just watch anything she's in. I don't even care. Yeah, that's Laura Jemser, who is she's she's like an exploitation legend. Uh, she was in the Emmanuel films, very famously. Uh, she's the lead of those. Um, she was in that Raiders of the Lost Gold or whatever or, that I watched last week or a couple weeks back which was not okay. good but you know she was yeah. in it's all right it was cool to see her and stuff yeah uh, but yeah um, the great laura Jemser. uh th- this has a decent exploitation cast honestly uh-huh. um we're, we're gonna meet them pretty soon because after after the death game she gives him this mission this job where it's like if you escort all these mutants what is it like 200 miles outside of town the people who go to pick them up will have all this gold for you there's nothing up front because you know we're poor mutants escaping freaking death death squads squads. yeah yeah so he decides to take he decides to take them up on this for some reason he puts together a team um including his his guy who he's his his rival slash uh Sundara love interest uh who's played by george eastman who's another pretty big pretty big deal uh exploitation dudes yeah kurt karnak he plays great name yeah mm-hmm. yeah um we also have not bruce lee eye patch man um 
Al Borland, who's in a LARP, Renaissance LARP. It is a full on LARP. Like when they go to pick him up, he's in the middle of a LARP. <laughs> yep. And, and like they're, and he's nego- and they're negotiating with like this gang leader who is like he's a LARP guy. He's like, you must negotiate with me and answer me these riddles three. It's it's like they they have like a Knights of Knee LARP group. That's their themed post-apocalypse gang. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're the LARPer gang. So so Al Borland joins them. And he's just like a big barbarian type. He's wearing yeah. like comical fake furs. Like he looks like someone dressed as a barbarian for LARPing, 100%. Oh, yes, yes. And he has my absolute favorite death in the movie, which we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's probably my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, it's good. Um, so, so they put together the team, uh, and I don't recall what the team does at first. Like, they they um, get into like I don't recall how they get into the Jabba's palace sequence. I know that's the next big deal thing that happens. Yeah, they get these vehicles. There's a van, um, two and motorbikes, the, and the van and has all of the people in the back. Yeah, and it's got like a, a a gun thing on top, right, and then it correct. has this car that's supposed to be a badass Mad Max car. Oh but yeah, but it looks like a it looks like a go kart. It is a go kart. Like no, I mean it, they use the frame of an actual car, but like the way it's all the way it's, it's so proportioned, it still yeah. looks like a go kart. Yeah, it looks <laughs> quite silly. It's so so dumb. Um. Oh, what else? I I think then they they travel through the Anamens. Oh yeah, through through Planet of the Apes. Yeah, so like there, and, there's and all these fish people. people. With, yeah, like one of them, I think you, like they they get in a gunfight with a few of them, and I think one of them has giraffe ears and nose even. Oh yeah, that's right. It's weird. Um, like they they just have like snouts and animal ears and nothing else. Yeah. Like, like some of them look like really bad Planet of the Apes apes. Yeah. And some like, of them look like somebody tried to make Drax from Guardian of the Galaxy and gave up halfway through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, well, like, like our like, main guy, our 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 Jabba surrogate is has like fish scales. He he's the one who reminds me of Jack's like a really half-assed Jack's Yolandu. Okay. Hybrid yeah. That yeah. they just didn't bother finishing. They definitely did not bother finishing him. That's enough uh, scales. We don't have the time for this. So this is they they go into a full Jabba's palace Return of the Jedi sequence here. Yeah, yeah. The right because these are like they get surrounded by this huge gang of uh, bikers and animal people and. Our main guy, who is accompanied by these two people who just exist to have their tits out, it looks like. Yeah. They I mean, don't do anything else. They just stand on the car and have their tits out. Yeah, it's, it's something you got to have for this movie. <laughs> it's an exploitation movie. Yep, yep. Um, oh, we didn't talk about the professor who's part oh, of the mutant yeah, team. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the professor. This guy. 
weirds me out. He's talking about like master races and shit. Yeah, he's creepy. I don't but, like, like this guy. Except he is he like it's it's I I feel like they're trying to do sort of a Professor X thing where he's talking about how uh these mutants are with the their psychic powers are the next step in evolution and that they shouldn't be discriminated against and i yeah. think that's the point because and and i mean like you know the the whole mutant thing with uh marvel was a civil rights and well, gay yeah. thing at different times and i think they're trying to do that but they don't know what they're doing like they don't yeah. know what the metaphor is yeah i, I mean cuz they have nazis taking them out and that's yeah that's a different metaphor that's a different um civil rights um, that's a different issue yeah but it's an important issue but it's a different one it's it's sort of related and it's sort of a mad libs thing and and i totally get the idea that they did see these ideas and they did see that concept and they've seen that done but they didn't know why they didn't know didn't understand what the purpose of that scene was or what the purpose of that speech is so they give him this sort of dialogue where he just sounds like a crazy eugenicist instead of being one of our heroes who's talking about why they're doing this and the good that they'll he do in doing this sounds like poorly written magneto yeah yeah totally like like if somebody yeah if someone were writing magneto but didn't get the character it's it's dumb magneto just like tough guys don't dance it's dumb inherent vice <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but it's supposed to be dumb professor x i think yeah yeah totally um so i they end up taking the larper guy he he gets spirited away with the group uh, and as well as laura Jemser. uh he steals her yeah the larp guy and I think a couple of the others get killed off. Like they get whittled down really fast. Yeah, yeah. They they people die pretty quickly after they're introduced in this movie. Like we didn't even talk about the other two contenders in the end game because they die the first time they show up. Yeah, I mean like Ron just like breaks their neck, they're done. Yeah. Um and and they're just like they're not they're not characters. They're they are just you know they're they're dead meats it's it's that sort of movie you, you kind of have to add these extra characters that exist just to die yeah oh we skipped the bit with the blind people oh i forgot about that yeah 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 there, there's this weird bit where they encounter so okay so our lilith is psychic she can read everybody's minds but only when the plot says she can because she should have known that this guy was up to no good yeah, well, that's a, that's another thing that there's a few times where she should be aware of the people's intentions. Yeah, yeah, because she does the exact same thing that would have helped them in this situation in other situations. Yeah. So, and it's implied she has full control over her power, so I guess sometimes she just doesn't feel like it. Well, I mean, that's certainly what she says to the LARPer guy when he gets all worked up about her having psychic powers. And it's like, I don't want you reading my thoughts. Like, why would anyone want to read your thoughts, guy? Yeah, what do you think about chicken wings? Like, donuts. Yeah, I I feel like it seems like everybody who complains about, oh, I don't want people reading my thoughts are always the people who are most loudly saying all of their thoughts all the time anyways. (laughs) You know, 
It's yeah. like the people who who are like, oh, I don't want Facebook stealing my information, but then they post literally every element of their lives online. It's the same court of sort of thing. I don't know. You're right. You are right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, they the blind people. They are blind as part of their weird cult. Um, right. But they're being guided by this psychic slave who is they have like one guiding them i like i think he's able to tap into everybody else's minds and see through their eyes and then he broadcasts it to uh everybody in this weird like they're blind monks like it's this whole uh yeah like a church uh but this guy this guy's not here of his own free will no Um, he's like tied up and yeah he's being tortured of course yeah so uh, our hero gets to him murders him yeah so they they can't uh, <laughs> so they can't see anymore you murder the prisoner and like i would have figured it it, it would have made more sense with the theme of the movie and the point being that he's saving these like this group of psychic people if he saved the psychic person to take with the rest of them could have pretty easily like it we, really seems like he could have like there weren't that many people guarding this psychic guy, and we've seen. And they were can... literally blind. Yeah, and you would think that maybe the psychic guy wouldn't rat on the guy who's trying to save him. You'd think, uh, unless you know he's been hit really bad with the Stockholm syndrome, which is a or he's just unable. But it doesn't really seem like it, and we yeah. don't. It's it's an immediate choice. He just kills him right away, so it's not yeah, like. It would be very easy for him to take out these other four guys who are yeah. blind and not even facing him. Exactly. Because no, he just took the easier option. This he is... took the easier option. Because, like, the guy is a trained killer. Killing is what he does. He could have killed those other guys. Yeah. It's his whole job. It's what he was hired to do. Yeah. So, after He's doing not that... Like... <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah, I don't know. He... It makes sense for his character to do that, but eh, it didn't sit right with me. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. it. It is unpleasant, but like he's I, an I didn't unpleasant enjoy character. It. This was kind of where I started to fall off the movie because it just made some mean things. Like I was kind of vibing with it a little bit when it was when we were just having like themed gangs and stuff. But right. I was just kind of like, yeah. And with the professor with his weird eugenic speech, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then with some stuff that's going to come up later, I was a lot of. Yeah. So. Here is where we enter the Jabba's Palace sequence. So, not quite. We know Jake Lloyd first. Jake Lloyd. Um, Jake Lloyd, the kid who can lift the rock and who is int- not not Jake Lloyd, but you know, I don't young Anakin. Yeah, no, I know child. Him. Yeah, I don't remember the kid character. <laughs> he, he lifts the rock, and then at the very end, he does something. I don't recall him at all. Oh, we're, oh we'll, wait. We'll get to him because yes, I, I have thoughts. He's a psychic kid, right? He's the psychic kid. He has telekinesis, and, right. Okay, you know, no, I remember at the end. That she, Lilith, our, our hero lady. Is that he's like the most powerful one of them, right? Yeah, but she's like, but I keep him hypnotized. Right. And That's I'm like, weird. Uh, uh, now, who am I supposed to sympathize with? Is anyone good? Well, like, I, I, she keeps him hypnotized because his power is too dangerous. I think well, it, it's, it's like um, in Logan, when Professor X oh, needs to be, like, kept under control or his, like, or, senile yeah. dementia will mix with his psychic 
energy and like cause real problems right. for everyone around him. I think that it's makes sense. supposed to be that sort of thing with him. But after he after she says that, which I'm already a little uh, on, yeah. our hero Ron Shannon says, now I see why everybody wants to kill you all. Right, yeah. Uh, it's pretty bad. And and then we also have like this is also when uh LARPer guy is after her. It's like getting into yeah. a fight with her about the psychic thing. He's like, screw you, guy. And then we finally get to the Jihabas Palace. Right. Which is my favorite part of the movie for sure. Yeah, so yeah, so um, this is where all the gangs with the Planet of the Apes and and Drax Yolandu unfinished shows up, kidnaps and kills a bunch of the team, kidnaps the girl. Uh, and the LARPer kid- guy. And the LARPer guy, yep. <laughs> uh, so, oh, I wrote down in my notes, I guess Karnak was there. He helps. Yeah, Most Karnak of them are dead shows up. <laughs> shows Most up to help. dead and shoot out with the tits out gang. Yeah. Uh, so he and uh, Ron, like Karnak and Ron need to infiltrate the the mutant palace. Uh, and it is done exactly like in Return of the Jedi, the opening of Return of the Jedi. Yep. Uh, uh, but not before we see a whole. Oh my God. The Carbonite. Yeah, the Carbonite. I'm an idiot. Oh. Right. Man. But but anyway, yeah, we have this whole gross <laughs> rape scene that I don't even want to talk about. Yeah, but the rape scene. I mean, it's it is unfortunately one of the mainstays of this sort of cinema, like. 70s and 80s Italian exploitation. There's going to be a rape scene, unfortunately, in pretty much all of these. Yeah. Kind of just yeah. get used to it as part and parcel of just like it's it's a genre mainstay. I don't know. It yes. was part of how they sold them. I guess. But it sucks. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but hilariously, to to mirror the trapped in carbonite thing, what they do is put the LARPer guy in the wall and just encase him in concrete with just his head sticking out. Yeah. Like head and hands. Like, like he's in the stocks in the town square, but they they concreted, they built a wall around him. Built a wall around him. Hilarious. It's so good. He's just sticking out of this wall. And just miserable. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, and our main fish guy has Laura Jemser basically chained up like Princess Leia. And he's uh-huh. he's the Jabba surrogate. Uh, and yeah. everybody's just kind of, everybody's had a bender and is all sort of passed out around the place. And they do the same infiltration and everything. Uh, and what is the, there's a beast, right? Oh, shoot. Um... Some sort of man-eating beast that that's, like the I, I can't remember what there is in place of the uh, uh whatever the it is, rancor. I don't have it written down. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a rancor surrogate type thing. Uh and ultimately it must, have, it must not have been anything because I didn't write it down and he I'm sure he just kills it. I, most likely, but like I know Laura Jemser kills the like she she does the Leia thing she strangles the guy with yeah. the chain uh, and they 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 do the original uh, Return of the Jedi ending and because they they can't get him out of the Carbonite <laughs> so so Karnak just 
turns his head upside down <laughs> in <laughs> in in the concrete. Yep, <laughs> just twists it upside down, and then it it's supposed to be blood, of course, but it's ketchup. It just drips down from the ketchup. hole and, yeah. and lands on one of the Planet of the Apes guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wakes him up right on his face and wakes him up, and it's uh... oh, that is my favorite moment in the movie. That that's yeah. the <laughs> and, and like as they escape. Yeah, uh, Ron. I keep wanting to call him Ron Swanson. Ron Shannon. Uh, Ron Swanson's so much better than this guy. Ron Swanson's way better. Way better. He kick his ass too. Um, Ron Shannon says to him, "Was like, hey, is Karnak alive?" And Lilith's like, "He's alive, but he's in trouble." And Shannon's like, basically just, eh, oh well. He he says. Fate the, decides the yeah, end game, fate, not me. Fate decides end game. <laughs> and it's like end game is over. This is an end Your game. shift quitted. Your shift was done like a day or two ago. You're probably late for another shift right now, man. You gotta. You're not at end game, man. You're you're off. You you might be fired, man. You gotta go to work or quit or something. But you're I'm not at work right now. I'm sincerely starting to doubt your commitment to end game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then basically like this is sort of the concluding part, right? Like they, yeah. Um, they deal with the government coming. Yeah. Here's where a van approaches and hundreds of Nazis swarm out of this van, the clown car van. It's just an impossible amount. Like, like where did they all come from? It's like the gangs, the, um, the precinct 13 gang like where did all these people come from except this one it it literally feels like just like an endless enemy respawn point yeah like it really does have that that feeling in the movie it's like oh this is just an infinite enemy spawn point so we, we we're oh, yeah, yeah the end. spawn point is in the clown car yeah I've decided um so the solution to all this because they're fucked is swans or shan't ron Mm-hmm. Uh, tells the girl it's to give him to use her psychic powers to give him control of the kid with the psychic powers to make him just murder all of these people and the scene lasts for so long and it's just kill 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 and he's forcing this kid to kill these people and yeah they're Nazis but it's gratuitous it is hilariously gratuitous. It's completely ridiculous. Just just an endless scene of Nazis dying. And I honestly, I'm here for that. I could go for that for quite a bit of time. So I, I did find that pretty amusing. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, the vibe was off. Like, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm usually here for, for killing Nazis, but the vibe was off. Yeah, like, it helps that I had watched two others of these uh two other Italian post-apocalyptic movies right up before this. So like I was really into the zone of this nonsense already. Oh, okay. I got to this. Whereas I was in a different zone. Yeah. Tough guys who dance is a completely different state of mind <laughs> from anything, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I should have watched this one first. Really? Probably. Uh, so this is pretty much it. He, you know, he takes all those guys out, uh, and the psychics are able to leave. 
Yep. Um, she invites Ron to come, but Ron's got one last thing he has to take care of. He's got to go kiss that Karnak. <laughs> yep, yep. Who, who I keep wanting to call Richard Karnak, which is the actor name for, of Al Borland. Who I came <laughs> up with that name for him before the LARPer guy who looks more like Al Borland. So I was going to call Karnak um, Borland. <laughs> but it, it ended up not working that way, so I didn't have a clever name for Karnak. The Karnak's a pretty good name to begin with. Yeah, it it really is. And yeah, so they run towards each other and freeze frame and then credits and that's the end of the movie. Yep, they're 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 gonna keep on fighting and loving behind the scenes. It's just loving and fighting and fighting and loving and Yep. So what they gotta do. <laughs> so I, I told movie, you No, go ahead. Parts of this movie I liked and parts of it made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, and I, I do get why you're more down on this one. It's not great. Like, I, I certainly wouldn't say this is an easy recommend, but it's it's got that particular Italian post-apocalyptic flavor. If you're into those types of movies, and there's a ton of them. I have an entire hardcover book about this genre. And... I don't know, they're, they're a certain energy. This one has a pretty fun soundtrack. I really like the, like, goofy 80s power ballad that closes it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, oh, that's right. You know, parts of the soundtrack did remind me a little bit of Star Wars. Yeah, I could see that. Like, they, they were trying to rip off Star Wars without making it too obvious that they were trying to rip off Star Wars. Joe D'Amato, sometimes he's much less subtle in how he rips off Star Wars. I mean, obviously already <laughs> there in Return of the Jedi, but he rips off the music from Star Wars directly uh, in Cruel Jaws, for instance. His, oh, really? his Jaws knockoff, which is oh, boy. a bold, bold knockoff and one we'll totally have to watch sometime. <laughs> okay. All right. So any last thoughts on Endgame before we move on to our final um, yeah, not really. It's 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 not for me. Yeah, that's totally fair. There, there's 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 stuff in there. There's there's stuff to enjoy. It's got its fun moments. Uh, of the three, it's probably my least favorite. Uh, I I would probably go for the Fulci one first. Uh, Gladiators of the Year 2072. Actually, maybe it Atlantis Interceptors. Man, Atlantis Interceptors was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All that Atlantis stuff and the nuclear sub and the criminals who, ah, uh, wild. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will head on to our final section. All right. So uh, heading on into our final section. Uh, I uh, watched a lot of stuff this week. All right. Uh, so just moving right on. First thing I watched is a movie called The Flesh Contagium. Uh, this is a 2020 Italian shot-on-video movie made during lockdown in Italy, which was especially hard hit by COVID. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. It was at the beginning. Yeah. So this movie is made in Italy, uh, and it's set in 2027, after the world's healthcare systems have all collapsed. Uh, and a vaccine, they, they, there's a rushed vaccine that was put out, and it turns people into blue-skinned, flesh-eating mutants. Uh, and there are just... <laughs> Wandering government zombie death squads, uh, and like they're they are government death squads, except 
they're clearly actual flesh-eating zombies too. Uh, pretty oh, rad synth but score. They should have taken their horse paste. They should have taken the horse paste. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, not 2027, 2029. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, very trashy. Uh, it's shot on video. It's its not as good as it sounds, unfortunately, but like it's got a pretty red synth score. I don't know. It's, it's trashy. It's enjoyable enough, I guess. Okay. I've watched the final film in the Al Adamson box set, as we mentioned, and that's Lost, uh, which is kind of a more straightforward kids movie this time uh, uh, after uh, Carnival Magic. This one's kind of more like a real kids movie. Uh, So this little girl, she's washed away in a flash flood uh, on a farm. She's a city girl who just happens they like her stepdad has moved them out to a farm and she's not happy about it. Uh, her and her faithful dog Skipper are lost in the wilderness, and they have to face cougars and Jack E. Lamb. Uh, there's part like Jack E. Lamb. He's like an old character actor who's got really weird eyes, and he's just like the crazy mountain man character in this. Okay. And uh, she's talking about her dog, and uh, he he hates dogs, and he's like, "My hat used to be a dog." <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, not not as uh, wild as your typical Adamson. I watched The Suckling, which I, I think I told you about briefly. Uh, very bad taste movie. Uh, this is the one about the aborted fetus that ends up in toxic waste that goes on a rampage through the abortion right. clinic slash brothel. It's, it's a brothel <laughs> slash uh, illegal <laughs> clinic. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's super bad taste. It's clearly meant to be extremely bad taste and edgy. Uh, the effects are surprisingly good for the suckling itself. Like it's a really good creature costume. Like oh, really? bizarrely okay. good considering how cheap, how much cheap garbage the rest of it is. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's wild. Like it's another vinegar syndrome, crazy thing. All uh, right. I of course watched escape from New York. Uh, which is a perfect movie. Uh, I, I would just say that it is absolutely perfect. It has incredibly cool looking special effects. Kurt Russell is so hot. Uh, the it's it's and it's the eighties crime epidemic in New York projected into a 1997 future where that crime epidemic has just completely destroyed the entire country. Ah, uh, yes, the far flung future of 1997. Which is when they did, which is when they make Escape from L.A. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen that one. That one's kind of, it's, I, I have really mixed feelings on that one. We'll, we'll get to that in in a while, but that one's interesting, but it feels, it's a satire that I don't feel fully lands. Okay, okay. But Escape from New York, just perfect. So good. Uh, I've, I've seen it. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty undeniable. Uh, I watched She-Freak, which is basically a remake of Freaks, the classic 1934 horror movie. Uh, Except it's not really a remake. It's very trashy. It's mostly just people hanging out at a 60s carnival. uh, And one of them's a gold digger who wants to marry someone rich uh, who ends up being the guy who runs the place, but she's 
stepping out with the strong man. It's just, you know, it's carnival melodrama. Weird. <laughs> All right. Uh, I watched Commando Ninja, which is Commando Ninja. Very trashy 80s culture celebration. So it's kind of like Ready Player One in terms of just constant 80s references. Oh, this references. was made in 2018. Yeah, this is quite new. <laughs> Uh, and it's it, but it doesn't need to explain its references. You know, it has the good taste to just throw a bunch of references at you without trying to be like, and this is from. <laughs> OK, know. so the description I'm digging the description. John Hunter is a Vietnam Green Beret veteran, half commando, half ninja. That is whose correct. daughter has been abducted by a secret ninja organization in capitals. So that's the name of the organization, the ninja yep. organization. That's led correct. by a Central American dictator who wants to create a new world order through time. Yeah, so there's time travel involved as well. Okay. Uh, tons and tons of squibs, because, you know, this is another, like, lo-fi retro thing. So, you know, it's it's like Commando with tons and tons of squibs, but, like, also adding ninja nonsense and time travel and yeah, it's it's a celebration of the trashiest of 80s culture. It's pretty fun. Sounds like it. Um, I, I thought I had already known what I was going to choose out of this section, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this one. I'm looking at this one. There's not a lot to talk about with it, to be fair, but it is fun. Oh, OK. But like we'll we'll definitely watch it sooner or later if we don't do it this week, because okay. it's, it's totally a must because it is really fun. Uh, watch Trilogy of Terror 2. Uh, this is Dan Curtis, uh, who who is the maker or the founder or creator of Dark Shadows and Kolchak the Night Stalker, really famous horror TV series. Uh, this one's pretty silly. <laughs> it's very TV horror, very safe TV horror. Uh, the first story is about giant rats. They're very Muppety. Uh, the second story <laughs> has a zombie boy who, like his mom wants wishes that her her son can be brought back to life and like he drowned so it's basically jason oh right uh, right and he comes back and he just really didn't want to be brought back from the dead he's not happy about <laughs> it at all uh and then the third one is the zuni fetish doll uh a direct sequel to the original one i think it's starting like immediate like it's it picks up from where the first one ends like the next day this is kind of fun is this one that treehouse of horror episode was based on Sort of. I, I would say that it's definitely where they get their name from. The Zuni fetish doll is like heavily parodied and is totally what the uh, crusty doll thing is based on. But okay. not like the original one, I'd say, is more influential than this version, which was made in the 90s. This one's 96. Mm, right. Whereas the yeah. original one's like 70 something. Yeah, that's right. This So that episode would predate this movie. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this one uh, came after, but the first one was totally the influence. Okay. Uh, next, this one is probably the one you were thinking of for your choice, Blind Fury. <laughs> it's like you know me. <laughs> this movie is great. Uh, it is Rutger Hauer as Zatoichi, completely, like unabashedly. He has the cane sword. Uh, it's a little bit, it's a much more comedic version, I'd say. Not Not just a little bit, a lot more comedic. And maybe a little bit too silly at times. Like, I do get sick of all the stuff with JT from Step by Step. Oh, boy. Okay. JT from Step by Step is his child companion through the movie. 
Uh, <laughs> Satoichi sometimes takes young companions he totally for does. a movie. It, it's, it's, he, he took the Osei twins, oh, or the whatever, you know, you know who I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And and this one, he's not real. like, the, the kid is witness to a murder, so he's, like, taking care of the kids, so these like there, there's a gang after him. Uh, I think they're right. drug dealers. It's never altogether clear what they're about. Uh, but gang, it doesn't matter. But like the great thing about this movie is just it's full of wild set piece moments. It's got all of the stuff you want to have with Rutger Hauer Zatoichi, like him petting of an alligator, him driving blind <laughs> in a van through Reno, him slicing <laughs> off a cop's hand, uh, him having a ninja duel around an electrified hot tub. It's oh my god! It's good stuff. Like <laughs> way back, uh, however long ago, you showed me the box art for this thing. Great box uh, art. The box, like you could tell me nothing else, and I'd be sold on the box art alone. It's just him. I, I'm. I may have even talked about it on the show before. I think we did. Just, yeah. Yeah, him with sunglasses and his cane sword and just all these severed hands and guns around him. And he's just got this big grin. And they're like, yeah, just these hands and guns flying in the air around him. Yep. Ugh. Awesome. Uh, like, and that is totally how Rutger, play, Rutger Hauer plays the whole movie, too. Like, he is just having a good time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I <laughs> uh, also watched Elvis, another John Carpenter film, John Carpenter's Elvis biopic. Uh, and it's weird. Yeah, you, you, I remember you were talking about this in our chat and it's forever. Yeah, so like it's pretty long. It's three hours long. Uh, it's Kurt Russell as Elvis and it's got this really weird framing device. So the primary portion of it, it's sixties Elvis when he's really paranoid and he's shooting at TVs. Uh, and there's a framing device of him about to do a big comeback concert. <laughs> and you can guess what happens is he needs to think about his whole life before he goes on stage. Of course, uh, necessarily got to do that. You know, he, he there's a few of those things, but it's not as tied to the Dewey Cox tropes as a lot of these because it's still a John Carpenter movie. So, like, yeah. the framing device is just this really tense thing where there's supposed to be an assassin at a show. So that's what he's in his head about and shooting the TV for. And I don't know. It's very up and down. It's way too long. There's a lot of music, like full songs. Uh, but oh, wow. Kurt Russell is great as elvis like genuinely really good well he plays elvis a few times in his career doesn't he i think so like i believe he was in the the graceland three whatever five thousand miles to graceland wasn't he? three thousand miles to graceland yeah i'm pretty sure he's in that although oh right but he was an impersonator in that right uh and i think he plays the ghost of elvis in true romance or is that val kilmer That might be Val Kilmer. I could be confused. It's It's been a while since I've watched that one. Um, also watched Hot Dog, the movie. Uh, this is a... Hot Dog. Yeah, it's a skiing comedy, a sex ski comedy. Maybe more of a sex comedy than a ski comedy. All uh, right. So it's, it's, the plot is these American skiers feel like 
all of these European skiers are only getting on to the tour because it should only be Americans. And the Europeans are only getting on because of corrupt judging, uh, which happens to be true in the movie, but really makes no goddamn sense and is a pretty dumb rivalry because they can't even make it look like that through the way they edit the skiing scenes. <laughs> really? But all right. It's fun. I love a ski movie. I, I just love snow and, and seeing like a, uh, the whole aesthetic of a, a snowy ski slope for most of it. And interestingly, it's shot at the ski slope nearest to uh, Truckee Lake and Donner Pass. It's the Squaw oh. Valley. Yeah. Oh, wow. This Where is pretty the, uh, the infamous uh, Donner Party was held. Indeed. That was a fun time. I didn't get an invite. Good thing. Yeah. Uh, the the great thing about Hot Dog is it's got this final death race sequence where like ever at the end of everything is like all right fuck it we're we're gonna all put on our league gear and like they all have <laughs> this gear that they already have set up for their specific death race game and then like all of them put on armor and have spikes and weapons and then they just have a downhill death race it rules at the end but it's it's a long time getting there <laughs> you know the only i think the only you mentioned ski movies and i, I don't know if i was aware that was a genre like the only thing that, I see that could be considered a ski movie and it's not is uh oh, what's it called dead snow i think dead snow i love dead snow it has skiing in it but it's not it a ski movie I've got a few ski movies and not just like mostly ski horror movies, but there was kind of a ski movie micro genre for a little while, uh, mainly eighties. And it's mostly like also snobs versus slobs all oh, the yes. time. Like you got to save the rec center. I think that's what the South park parody was. Oh, you always have to save the rec center. The rec you center. You got to save the rec center. It's always getting in shit. Man. Like someone evil is always trying to bust up the rec center. I don't know what it yeah. is. It's like it's like the rec center is Princess Peach and and everyone else is Bowser. Yeah. And the plucky kid's got to be Mario. It doesn't I work guess. because Mar Bowser's not trying to kill Princess Peach. I don't know. Well, like as we talked about, I think last week with the the relationships between Mario and Bowser, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Sometimes that was they play thing. tennis together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I also watched Evil Spawn which is basically a remake of The Wasp Woman, which is a 50s movie about this lady who takes royal jelly and turns into a bee monster. It's supposed okay. to make her younger. Uh, this one, it's not royal jelly, or maybe it is, I don't know. It's a youth serum, and she's it's an actress who's aging out of acting. And it's actually kind of interesting in the way it talks about this, because that's sort of one of those ugly secrets of Hollywood, is it's hard for women to get roles after a certain age. Uh, for no other yeah. reason than that they're older. Yeah. So this movie does kind of talk about that, which is interesting because it's an, yeah. it's a no budget 80s B movie uh, where she uses a youth serum and turns into a ravenous bug monster. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> interesting. Interesting thing. That doesn't get talked about very it's much. True. Yeah. I, the, I was the, kind of... the aging out of roles thing, yeah. not the, the ravenous bug monster thing that gets talked oh, about. Oh, yeah. I mean, people see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I was interested to see that being sort of the central core uh, driving force of the plot uh, in this movie. But yeah, that's eh, not bad. It's all okay. right. All right. Uh, 
I also watched Friday the 13th, part five. Just kind of randomly pulled that one out. Uh, it's the worst one. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, weren't we still on like number one or two? Yeah, I just randomly pulled one out to watch it. Oh, OK, OK. <laughs> I got you. All right. I, I you had just pulled the worst one. I, yeah, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, that one's weird. It's the Halloween three of the bunch. Maybe I get it now and I do get it now, but it still sucks. So, All right. So like Friday the 13th part four is the final chapter and they kill off Jason and they okay. did intend it to be an actual finale. It's like, okay, Jason is dead. And then the next year they make Halloween part five anyways. And it's a Jason copycat. So the idea is that it's a Tommy Jarvis movie now. Who's the guy who like, who's the kid who Corey Feldman played in Halloween or in, in Friday the 13th part four. Okay. So, but he, but Corey Feldman didn't come back. <laughs> so they <laughs> just have some other guy playing him. And ultimately it's, it's another one of these just discarded detours in a horror series where it's like, okay, I guess we're not going to be a series about Jason anymore. Mm. So instead it's Friday, the 13th part five, the wrath of Roy and nobody cares about Roy. Uh, no one is we ever like going Roy. to hear about Roy again. <laughs> Roy's kind of funny. And one of the other things about it is that it's one of the most brutal in the series. Like the the kills are extremely brutal, except more so even than than the one we watched. Yes and no. See, the thing is, the kills are more creative. And they're more brutal in that way. It's just okay. you don't see them because they were completely censored out of existence by the MPAA. So oh, most really? of them, they only exist for like two shots, <laughs> mm. which it 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 mean it makes it not work on either level. So like it's trying to be a grungier, harder edged version because it's not Jason. It's someone who is thinking and is more mean spirited and is more brutal. But yeah it's so heavily censored that it just doesn't, it's not able to land any of it. I didn't even know what was happening in a lot of those scenes until I watched the deleted censored versions that like, and since they were cut pre uh, the film ever coming out, they're only available in a really low quality. So oh. it's kind of a drag, but yeah, they're like very impressive, very hardcore special effects stuff that they did for that one. It's just, none of it ended up in the movie. Oh, and that can work like oh totally could you you can make your kills like you can have your cut away and just leave it to the imagination just how brutal it was and that can be sometimes it can be more effective well i would say that that's the they finally hit on that with friday the 13th part eight is when they're finally like you know what we're getting censored to death every freaking time we do this we're just going to uh we'll we'll just make it creative we'll use lightning or lighting we'll we'll make it more expressive and we just won't shoot these gore scenes that we're never going to be able to show anyone and that's why i like friday the 13th 8 more than most people that's that's interesting i never knew of that about these movies yeah it's really weird it, it's a big problem for the ones from around five six and seven like those three are the most hurt by it because it like it tightened over the course of the 80s Oh, yeah. Well, that was around the satanic panic time, wasn't it? Yeah, that too. And just like there was a crackdown on 80s. It was the whole Reagan family values thing. All of that yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, and last one I watched is Witchboard, uh, which I talked about a handful of times when we were discussing our stuff earlier. Uh, it's a drunken Ouija board party. They summon an evil presence by accident and it inhabits someone. And, you know, people start dying in, in various mysterious ways. Oh, God. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> But yeah, uh, pretty good, honestly. Uh, it was better than I expected. It's from the director of Night of the Demons, and it's kind of his other big movie. Uh, I also watched his movie The Cellar last week or the week before, which uh, I think at the time I said was his first movie, but it's actually after both of these. I, I don't know. Uh, that one's not as good, but Witchboard and Night of the Demons are both really a lot of fun. Cool, cool. So that's uh, the large group that you have to pick from this week. Uh, that's a pretty big group. It's a bunch. So I, I take now, it you're sort of in between Commando Ninja and Blind Fury. Like, I, I'm also kind of leaning towards Escape from New York because while I've seen it before, so good. <laughs> I think there's a lot to talk about. That's true. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm into any of them and, like, any of those that we don't watch, they go in the watch stacks and uh, what? Uh, I guess neither of them are horror, but we'll totally watch Blind Fury and Commando Ninja. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like all of these are movies that I will 100% rewatch any time. Well, all three. I'm just kind of thinking you said that uh, there's not that much to talk about with Commando. Probably uh, not. It's more just like a fun group watch kind of thing, I think. mainly. Yeah. We've already done two Zatoichis. That's true. But but this is a different Zatoichi. This is American Zatoichi. This is an American Zatoichi. This is this is yet another person's take on it. It's Zatoichi from Vietnam, so he's much more willing to just kill people all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and I know that I'm gonna pick another John Carpenter later, and I think I know which one it's gonna be. So maybe let's do the Blind Fury this time. All right. Um, Escape from New York. We'll get to it, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, for sure. I mean, that is a movie that I've watched at least 20 or 30 times in my life, and I, I will always watch it again because it is perfect. Like, absolutely perfect. <laughs> I only saw it the one time. I think that was with oh, wow. you and at that that one of those movie nights at one of the movie nights yeah i remember that uh yeah no i'll, I'll totally watch that movie anytime uh but not this time not this time oh i, I watched <laughs> it a couple days ago well uh okay so the new reveals and there's fewer of these than we're taking because again a lot from a couple different stacks uh first one last starfighter a big 80s classic a classic uh, so uh, Boy in a Trailer Park gets really good in an arcade game, gets to go to space, fight aliens. Because you know, the, ali the spaceship piloting is just like in the video game. Yep. Well, it was designed to recruit people. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, like... it's, it's fun. Also has a lot of uh, Halloween ties. Nick Castle, who directed it, played the shape. Oh, interesting. It's It's like it's a better... Oh, uh, shoot. What was it? It's a better Ender's Game. Yes, totally a better Ender's Game. Uh, much less objectionable Ender's Game. Yeah, it, it's a great... I love it. Yeah, it's it's a nice movie. It's it's quite warm-hearted. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. uh, next one, Tetsuo the Iron Man. 
This is another big oh. classic. So this is a cyberpunk body horror movie. Uh, Japanese salaryman runs over a metal fetishist and becomes infected with a metal disease that takes over his body. Uh, crazy stuff. Absolutely amazing. Uh, an all-time favorite. This is the first in another box set. This is the uh, Sukamoto box, and this is a bunch of his films, uh, which also oh. includes the sequel to Tetsuo, Tetsuo the Bullet Man. Oh, boy. So I'm reading the description here. I'm just like, okay, so a metal fetishist driven mad by the maggots wriggling in the wound he's made to embed metal in his flesh. Yep. Runs okay, so that's a sen- That's not even the whole sentence there. Runs out into the night and is accidentally run down by a Japanese businessman and his girlfriend. So this guy, who's crazy because he's got maggots in him because he's embedded metal into his flesh, gets killed. Okay, for sexual pair, reasons. Yes, he's, he's a fetishist for metal. Yeah. So the pair dispose of the corpse in hopes of quietly moving on with their lives. However, the businessman soon finds that he is now plagued by a vicious curse that transforms his flesh into iron. I'm into this. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, that one's that one's wild. Uh, this is one I've seen a bunch of times. Uh, it's it's another one that's like, yeah, that's a five star movie. It's incredible. There's nothing else like it. Uh, yeah. And then another one, another such film is also next added, The Thing, <laughs> my absolute favorite John Carpenter movie. Uh, another one I saw only once, um, again at a movie night, but right. I was really tired for this one, oh. so I I didn't I fell asleep partway through and I didn't get ca- I didn't catch a lot of it. Oh, so this one is absolutely my favorite. It has maybe the best practical effects work ever. Uh, just really wild body horror. It's this alien that's completely formless so it can jump from body to body it can shapeshift and it can turn into horrifying monsters that take no real form that are just made out of flesh yeah uh, it's like amazing oh it's it's good it's yeah, and like an incredible cast like just a, a a great stacked cast everyone is awesome and again like you got a snowy atmosphere because it's set in the arctic rules love it Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so next also added Quai des Orfèvres, which is a classic French crime noir. Uh, so it's, you know, the, this guy, uh, is, I think it's a jealous husband. It's been a very long time since I've seen this last, but uh, he's going to go kill this dude and he's got an alibi all planned out. But then he gets there and someone else has killed him and also his alibi falls through and he's just kind of stuck in the middle of this thing where someone else killed the guy who's going to kill and now he's gotten the, getting the blame for it. <laughs> but I didn't kill him. I was only gonna, I was only planning to, you don't understand. I uh, as I recall, it's great. Attempted murder. What's that? You don't get a <laughs> Nobel prize for attempted chemistry. <laughs> uh, next one is Le Magnifique, which is a Jean-Paul Belmondo film. Uh, RIP. He just died this week. Aww. Sadly. Oh, uh, so he in this, he plays a French pulp spy novelist who has this rich fantasy life where he is a super spy, like he writes about, and he's battling against the nefarious forces of his editor, who is trying to take over the world, I guess. I haven't seen it, but I watched the trailer and or I saw like a clip from it where it's just him 
nonchalantly gunning down just hordes and hordes of gunmen. And it's like, oh, this is obviously going to be pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, and last one added is Octoman, which is a very corny 70s sci-fi, uh, but with pretty good effects. I think it's someone notable, but like early in their career doing the effects. Uh, let me see if it says on here. Rick Baker, the great Rick Baker. Uh, and he or well, it, it's some scientists are in Mexico uh, looking at like doing a study of the water and they find this puddle with some strange baby octopi. Uh, and then their parent, who's an octoman, shows up and he's mad as hell. <laughs> corny uh it's it's another one that was in the new season of mystery science theater or one of the new seasons okay cool cool so what do you figure for our main film for the stacks next week well i'm kind of looking through these and uh there's so many choices there's always so many and i'm always at this point like oh what do i do what do i do like i'm here with answers (laughs) i know exactly um like i'm really leaning towards the iron man one that one is pretty wild. It's but a great there's there's another question I wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, is there anything on here? Because uh, I've I've looked at this list so many times, and like some <laughs> of them are, and we haven't talked about all of them because some of them were on the list before we started. Right. Is there anything on here that you think that you think I might really like, but probably wouldn't choose on my own? Hmm, that's a tough. That's call. it's a tough question, and I probably should have given you time to prepare for that one. Well, there there are some that I think probably would be, but there are ones that perhaps I've not watched either. Like there's original gangsters, which I've kind of been holding off on, that I think will be interesting. That's a Larry Cohen film. Okay. Uh, he's the guy who made uh, Q, the Winged Serpent, uh, mm-hmm. about uh, Quetzalcoatl living in the Chrysler Building. Uh, he did It's Alive. Uh, he did Basket Case. Okay. I think. Oh, no, no. Basket Case is Frank Henenlotter, not not Cohen. Cohen is It's Alive. Uh, God Told Me To. Oh, The Stuff. The Stuff is Larry Cohen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember The Stuff. So this one is his. It's The, the thing that might be bad about it is it is mid-90s. And Ooh. the only other 90s film I've seen of him was not as great. But it's a team up of all of the original black exploitation actors. So it's got okay. Pam Greer, Fred Williamson, uh, Jim Brown, Paul Winfield, Richard Roundtree, Ron O'Neill, like everybody. So that's, uh, you know, Pam Greer was Cleopatra Jones, Foxy Brown, uh, right. uh, Fred Williamson, The Hammer. Uh, Richard Roundtree is Shaft, Ron O'Neill is Superfly. So yeah, I mean, like it's it's the whole bunch of them uh, all teaming up to uh, fight gang violence in their neighborhood. So that one I think would probably be pretty good, uh, but I have not seen it yet. Uh, there's Invention for Destruction, a Czech stop motion children's film adaptation of uh, Jules Verne novel. Oh which I think will be really good. Also, I've not seen that one, but the other things I've seen from the director are incredible, like totally amazing to look at. Uh, Uh, What was that one? Sorry. Invention for destruction. Okay. Right. on. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Like those are a couple that come to mind. uh, That gives us something to work with. 
Cotton uh, Comes to Harlem, one of the very first black exploitation films, kind of what generated the genre in a way, much like Watermelon Man, uh, one of the very important uh, steps in black action cinema of the 70s. All right. Um, well, since since you haven't seen it and I haven't seen it, do we want to do original gangsters? Sure, I'm totally into that. But like, I, I mean, just to make sure if you, you want to do, because like Tetsuo would be a good one too. Like, I, I'm not against You're, that okay. at all either. Like anything. Uh, you know what? Watching. I, I want to like, do this Iron Man thing. Like, yeah, like, I've never heard of it. And I've, I've immediately wild. sold on the description. It's pretty wild. And it's, uh, I, I am excited to start digging into the Tsukamoto box in any case. All right. All right, let's, cool. Let's do that one then and save original gangsters for later. Yeah, because I have been saving it. It is one that I have kind of intentionally not watched because it's one that I feel there's probably going to be a ton of stuff to dig into because there's so much history involved with all the, all the characters and actors. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. That, I guess that's a bunch of stuff I won't even know about. You'll know a bit of yet. it. Because, I mean, like, well, you, you're, later, you're, I, yeah. we're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. And I've got a lot of those movies. We'll, we'll throw them in the mix. Uh, all right. So next week we'll be talking about Tetsuo the Iron Man, first in the uh, Aero Shinya Tsukamoto Solid Metal Nightmares box. Uh, as oh, well, that's a name. I love it. <laughs> pretty rad. Uh, really great art on the box, too. Uh, and Blind Fury, the American Zatoichi. That's actually a pretty good pairing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it is. So this is going to this is going to be a hell of an episode next week. All right. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, and uh, uh, rest ahead. in peace, Michael K. Williams from rest our peace, favorite Michael show. Yeah, God. Uh, he's been in a lot of things, but he he played Omar, Omar? In the Wire. Yeah, famously, like easily his most famous character, but he has been in all sorts of stuff. But yeah, God, just way way too young. That's that's a tragedy. Uh, that that's brand new news. Just. Uh, was it was that today or yesterday? Uh, a couple yesterday, I think. It was or yesterday the day before. Actually. But yeah, awful. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a big one. Uh, so, somewhat of a down note. Sorry, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, up note: We're gonna do fun movies next week. I should have maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Next week, Tetsuo and Blind Fury. Uh, thanks everybody, and keep watching the stacks. Bye bye.